Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Crime, a true crime podcast. If you're new here, hi, hello, how are you doing? My name is Lise Marie, and each week I sit down with a cup of coffee and I tell you all a true crime story. However, this week is a super special episode. Not only is it the fourth and final deadly daughter in this little mini series, and it's probably the deadliest daughter I've come across so far in all of my true crime research, but I have two very special guests joining me this week to tell you guys this case. These are also true crime podcasters who I have done a spotlight on in a very recent episode. So lovely listeners of Coffee and Crime, please give a very warm welcome to Erica and Rachel from Story Crime Podcast. Hi. 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 How are we Hello, doing? We are good. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited. Coming. I mean, Rachel, you were a surprise, I have to say. (laughs) I'm so glad that you weren't working and could join. Um, Yeah, this is awesome. Well, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having us. And I'm so glad. Um, I think this whole thing came to be because you asked me how to say Mississauga. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. I wanted to tell you, though, afterwards we were laughing because I said she should ask me how to say Etobicoke. Because you put that K in there and every person always puts that K in there. But it's an honest, you know. Is that not right? Oh, no. (laughs) At the very end. The Etobicoke, I think, is what you said. It's all good. Everybody does it. And I feel like out of all of the names in last week's episode, Mississauga was probably the easiest. Like, oh, you have no. Saskatchewan. (laughs) Uh, Lisa Marie, you have no idea. I'm so glad you asked me how to say that because so many people that I hear say Mississauga wrong. So I was glad that you asked us about that (laughs) because, yeah, you're probably the, uh, the first one. That I've ever heard to get it right that wasn't Canadian. So nicely done. Well, like I said, and and just from like languages that are within New Zealand, the way that it was spelled, like to me, it's you pronounce every letter. So I I was looking at it like Mrs. Sauga, and I was like, that does not sound right (laughs) at all. So I am very glad, but it was all a ploy to get you on my episode. No, I'm so glad you asked me because, and the case we're doing today is one of my all time. I don't want to say favorites but like just one of the ones that really got me into true crime so 100% 100% but before we get into that I know that I've done a spotlight on uh, you guys on the first deadly daughter episode but can you guys just give a little introduction about story crime to the lovely listeners well I like we said I'm Erica and I'm Rachel (laughs) and we are story crime the podcast Woo! um but um no this was kind of like Rachel, I've got to say, is such a darling because even though she likes true crime, she'll watch a true crime show. Really, it's me that's very passionate about it. And so she's, again, such a darling who comes on and does this with me every week. But we you live traumatize me every week. Thank you. <laughs> we live two hours away from each other. So it's hard to see one another on a regular basis. So this was has actually been a really good chance for us to get you know, get together once a week, even if it is online. Yeah, we're hanging out virtually. Yeah, so that's kind of how story crime came to be. But I've always been really passionate about true crime. It's sort of like my ulterior ulterior, uh, 
ego ego I guess because in my day job I I work with little tiny baby children and so I come home and to relax I read about true crime (laughs) you know that's the thing we all do it yeah can't explain why it just makes things better for sure for sure (laughs) oh no that's awesome and you guys release every week every if every week it try, I try to do Thursdays or Friday mornings. My my schedule is like because I work full time. Like I'm trying to like work everything, and I do not know how you guys with babies at home do this because <laughs> I feel like every day I come home and I'm like I just want to relax. And then once I get to relaxing, it's like I don't feel like getting up anymore. Yeah, right. It does. So get <laughs> I give you guys so much credit The the moms and dads out there that do this every week and are so consistent with it. So but yeah, we try to go every week and we uh, release usually on Thursdays or Fridays. So. Nice. And you yeah. have a whole range, don't you? You'd whole range. Sorts. Yeah, Love whole that. range. I really like the more uh, famous serial killers, I guess. Famous yeah. is that the right word? Yeah. But we also, I every once in a while, I'll come across just like a interesting case that I've never heard of. And for example, I think I covered a guy called Andre Lee Thomas, and I mm. never heard of him before. And it was just such an interesting case, very mental health focused. Um, but just one I never heard of, and really dug deep into that. It was hard to find no, information, okay. but. Yeah, yeah. It no, was, I've, and I've listened to that one recently, and it was awesome. And again, I hadn't even heard of that case, so it's yeah. It was, and it was a really good one, especially with the the talk around his mental health and how his trial and obviously sentencing and everything went was just hard. And I think I actually just recently heard about that one that um, the his. Uh, execution is actually coming up pretty soon oh, no like in way. april so i'm gonna be following up on it probably pretty soon to see yeah. what what happens there um yeah but yeah, yeah so petitions out and signing the petitions and the fight against it because oh yeah be happening no absolutely uh, not but yeah it's just such an honor to be here with you today lisa yes, marie we're yes. so glad that we're here and thank you for having us i'm so glad no, i could make it thank you for having me <laughs> When, when you popped up, I was like, no way. <laughs> that was the best reaction I think anyone's ever given me to seeing me. So thank you. No, no. Well, yes, thank you. It is an honor to have you both here on the show. And there is somewhat an ulterior motive to having you guys because you're from Canada. And last week's case was a Canadian one, but so is this week's case. So it's good to um, have some knowledge firsthand from people who live in the area but also i have to ask that's two cases we're covering now in the deadly daughter series so what's up with your daughters yeah. in canada guys i was just what's gonna going on? say that how would how would we make it two episodes i know um erica we're both daughters nice. so <laughs> me and rachel are both pretty good daughters of canada gotta say um nice. i don't really know what's going on over here there's something, something in the, the milk <laughs> yeah. in those bags of milk we have <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah, only we Ontario. Have... Is but it? they come in bags of milk. Yeah. yeah. In Ontario, bags we have of bags milk. of milk. I wish I had yeah. one to show you, but it's like just a tube of bag of it's milk. It's just a <laughs> milk. And you put wow. it in like a milk carrying case and keep it in your the milk jug. What? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Blowing mine. shock, but okay. Milk <laughs> <bag>. <laughs> that's what we got. <laughs> Fair enough. You buy, Fair enough. <laughs> you buy three bags of milk 
in a big bag. <laughs> yes. And then you, don't you just get a carton of it. No. You can get a carton, but you can oh, you also can. get three bags if you want. Ooh, if you have a fam- like family size. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> See, yeah. learning things. We're going to learn a lot about Canada, I think, today. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, so you are both from Canada, which ties into the little game that I put at the end of last week's episode to see if our listeners could guess who this week's case was about. Um, There was some pretty um, good guesses because I also used clues from the the first, all three cases that I've done in this Deadly Daughter series. There's an aspect from each that ties in to this week's, which is scary that it's like an accumulation of all three of the Deadly Daughters into this one that we're covering today. And so just quickly, the the first clue was Erin Caffey's motive, and that was that she wanted to be with her older boyfriend. The second clue was Esme Sang's online activity. She started posting some dark photos of herself with some questionable objects in her hands. <laughs> and the third clue was last week's the location, which we know is Canada. Um, there were some good guesses. I got a guess of Jennifer Pan, which um, you spoke about as well, Rachel. With, oh, not Rachel, sorry, Erica. And also got a guess of Carla Homolka. Homolka, you got it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you've never heard I of ha- Carla Homolka? I haven't actually. I did search up to be like, what? Oh, but, girl, um, maybe that will yeah. be a crossover on Story Crime one day. Yeah, <laughs> with I you. I'm down for it. I am down for that. She's probably one of our <laughs> most well-known yeah. killers. And wow. uh, most hated woman in the country. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, definitely. Let's pencil that one in because. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But surprisingly, and I was quite surprised that no one actually guessed who we're covering today. So let's not keep it a mystery anymore. We shall get into it. So lovely listeners of Coffee and Crime, grab your cup of coffee or whatever caffeinated beverage you need to get through your day or your wine like Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> you need it to get through your day. I, I Definitely. Yep. <laughs> um, and join Rachel and Erica from Story Crime and I as we bring you the case of the deadliest daughter of them all in the story of the Richardson family massacre in a coffee and story crime special. <laughs> Warning. The following episode contains adult language, discussion on drug use, self-harm, domestic violence, child abuse, suicide, and murder, including that of a child, that listeners may find disturbing. This podcast is recommended for listeners 16 years and above. Listener discretion is advised. All right, so we do need to address something before we crack into this. Uh, Similar to last week's case, uh, the Canadian Youth Protection Act and those type of laws came into place where certain names aren't allowed to be mentioned by anyone in Canada. I've got two of you here from them. (laughs) Um, So if anyone is tuning in for the first time who didn't hear last week's, uh, Erica, Rachel, could you give us a little spiel about the act? Obviously with your um, professions, what you both do, does that come into play at all? Just a little bit of knowledge. So it doesn't necessarily come into play in my particular feel because I work in kindergarten so hopefully I never have <laughs> to worry about it yeah. uh, Rachel you've worked with some older kids I'm not sure if you've yeah but it's never really been relevant for me right. just yet yeah knock on wood 
But just to kind of like give you just sort of a easy breakdown and a understandable breakdown of what it is, it the Youth Criminal Justice Act came into effect in April of 2003, and it essentially replaced the Young Offenders Act that had previously been in Canada. Uh, its purpose was to essentially provide a more fair and effective system to protect children under the age of 12 who had committed criminal offenses. And it was also amended in 2012, and those amendments addressed how repeat and violent offenders were dealt with in the justice system. So I did have like a whole bunch of points like from the website that I can link in the show notes for you guys, but if you're interested in reading more about it. But essentially, the YCJA, as we refer to it here, it provides protections for young offenders to assure that they understand everything that is happening to them after they've committed a crime. Because we don't want, especially even with adults, I find that if you don't cross all your T's and dot all your I's, you can get into trouble later. Well, with kids, it's an even more delicate process because they may not understand fully the language. So that it's there to sort of protect them during that process. Um, And it's determined whether or not the youth involved in the crime can be held accountable for what they've done. So again, if you have a child that's too young, they may not understand anything of what's happened. And it sort of protects them against being prosecuted for a crime they just really don't understand. Uh, I, I think I put in here, too, that it focuses more on rehabilitation over punishment, which I think is important. Absolutely. Sometimes I think the rehabilitation is a little, and punishment aspect are a little too spread apart, but yep. <laughs> that's just my personal opinion. And it gives, uh, it provides a means to reintegrate the youth back into society in a meaningful way so that they, um, you know, can get out, have a job and, and do something with their lives afterwards while still protecting yeah. the public. Absolutely. Uh, The other thing I didn't put in my notes was that it also protects their identity to prevent bias in the community, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of the problem we've run in here today, the little snag we've run in here today, because like Lisa Marie said, since I am a Canadian, the person we are going to talk about cannot be identified by a Canadian. Yes. (laughs) Or we might be in jail. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And we want to avoid that. Um, After reading the notes that you'd put in a uh, we do have a, a similar act over here in New Zealand called the Oranga Tamariki Act. And Oranga means well-being and Tamariki means children in Māori. And it's, yeah, against, uh, um, it, yeah, is about the protection of the youth here. It helps look after everyone involved, making sure there's no way to identify victims and offenders if they're minors um, and about their rehabilitation steps and whatnot. Um, the identity staying in place for life is not quite the same. It's at a judge's discretion if the offender, um, when the offender becomes an adult, depending on the nature of the case, there's a whole lot into that, but it, um, it is quite similar actually, I think. And there are quite a few things that I've, um, noticed about New Zealand and Canada that is quite similar, a lot of, um, place work, criminal justice type stuff. So it is quite interesting. Um, but because I, that act is in place and we want to keep you guys out of <laughs> prison with no fines, um, we will refer to <clears throat> Jasmine Richardson <clears throat> as JR. And if any Canadian law authorities uh, ever come across this episode, it was the New Zealander who said that. And that is the only time her full name will be mentioned. But we will f- refer to her as JR. 
do you guys remember this case coming out at all? 2006? I don't. And I think it's because we were we're in Ontario. And so yeah. in 2006, where the internet was, you know, a thing, we could Google things and all of that. It just wasn't as widespread as it is today in terms of social media mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. We used yeah. it for uh, school research only, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and, and MSN maybe, chat. <laughs> and and yes, and ICQ. Yeah, These Facebook wasn't even a thing then, I don't think. In yeah, not it was like in its beginning stages. Mm-hmm. I don't think we had Facebook yet. So um, I didn't hear about it. However, when the book came out, which I imagine wouldn't have been too much, too many years after this case yeah. came out, because I remember reading this book, gosh, in my like mid 20s. So like it would have been like 2008, 2009 for sure when I read it. So it wouldn't have been. So that's when I found out about this case. But this yeah. actually was one of the ones that really like got me into like learning about these lesser known true crime cases i guess yeah so i remember that i remember her getting out of jail mm. <laughs> we'll say well, um i was eight years old in 2006 so i don't <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah. we were in college this is this is awkward <laughs> Um, so yeah, so no, and also in New Zealand at that point, living my my childhood and whatnot, so I, I knew nothing yeah. about this until a lot later on, probably within the last five years from being within uh, interested in true crime and right because um, I studied criminology at university and just completely like submerged myself into it. So yeah, quite late to the game as I usually am with a lot of big cases. I mean, even like. Carla like I'm still like no idea but um, I can't wait to tell you about that one (laughs) for free yeah (laughs) it's it's one it is a case it is one very excited (laughs) um so uh shall we get into it then it's yes we're going to talk about JR and the Richardsons Erica would you like to start us off and introduce us to our players of today I sure would so we're going to start off by talking about Two of our uh, two of the people here that are the victims and and probably two of the most important people in this case. Uh, Mark Richardson was born in 1964, and while not much is known about his early life, we do know that he was raised in a French-speaking Catholic family, which is normal here in Canada. A lot of French-speaking Catholic families around. <laughs> Uh, But he was also a bit of a wild child in his youth. And by the age of 23 in 1987, he was in rehab at the Rock Haven Recovery Home for Men. Now, this is a residential treatment center in Ontario. And while Mark was at the treatment center, he made quite an impression on the director there. He made quite an impression on almost everybody that he met, Mm. to be honest, Uh, But at the director there, they said that he was motivated and prepared to do the inside work that was required in order to succeed with addiction recovery. Mark beat his demons and fully recovered from his addiction. And in 1990, 26-year-old Mark would meet 32-year-old Deborah. Deborah was described as someone with a bright personality and an engaging smile. She was six years older than Mark, so get it, girl. But similar to him, (laughs) she was also an ex-addict who had overcome her battle with addiction and was now clean. Good for her. Great for both of them. Like, Mm. it's such a lifelong journey with addiction, and it's just so great to hear stories like Mark and Deborah's. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. 
So again, it's important to note that usually it's advised against two recovering addicts to enter into a relationship with one another, seeing as if one relapses, they could cause their partner to also relapse, Mm -hmm. right? It's a very slippery slope. But Mark and Deborah beat the odds and provided a solid support system for one another and worked every day to inspire each other during their own recovery process. Deborah would eventually become a mentor and a sponsor for Narcotics Anonymous, and she would speak at meetings and always try to be an inspiration to everyone she met. Together as a couple, Deborah and Mark would devote their lives to helping people get off drugs and alcohol. That's, That's so great of them. Yeah. Within a year or two of meeting in 1991, they were married, and in October of 1993, they welcomed their first child, a little baby girl, who we're going to call J.R. <laughs> Aww. What a cute name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. Uh, three years later, the family of three expanded to four as little baby boy Jacob was born. After Jacob was born, the Richardsons moved from Sudbury, Ontario, 30 hours away across the country to a little community called okay. Okotoks, Okotoks, Alberta, this is- Okotoks. <laughs> This is a this, Canadian place. This is, the, I know. <laughs> this this is, is why we're here, Pope. Erica. Yeah. <laughs> Okotoks, Alberta. Okotoks. Um, I am not from Alberta, so I do not know. But It reminds I think... me of like a way to say like, okie dokie. I'm just like, okie <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so they moved to Okotoks, Alberta for Mark to work. Um, there were lots of jobs, uh, opportunities for tradespeople to work in, in the oil and gas fields. And we actually, growing up in Ontario, know a lot of people that we went to high school with. They graduated high school. And they went straight, straight out there wow. to work on the oil field. The money Actually, is insane. One of my yeah. husband's really good friends, he his family would live, like they stayed here where we live in Ontario, and he would go for four weeks out to Alberta, work for wow. four weeks straight, and then come back because the money was so good, mm-hmm. right? right? So a lot of people do that. And I know as well, Alaska's also got a huge... Um, that oil gas, mm. they they kind of boom. Does that how close is Alberta to the um, Alaska? It, it's not very close at all. I don't think. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like up and over. Uh, it's not very close, but a lot of the places up, especially like Alaska, and then like our northern territory, like all of the territories up above yeah. Canada. Oh yeah. It's Anybody. Huge. Yeah, and anyone who works up there usually will do that like a month on and then two yeah. weeks home and then a month on and two weeks. Just because the commute oh. is a bitch. Yeah. And also... Northern Canada? No, yeah. thank you. Yeah, it's just so <laughs> remote up there. Even in northern Ontario in some places, like Sudbury. Well, I don't know about Sudbury. It might be not quite northern enough, but no, there's certain... Good. Yeah, there's some places in Ontario even where the cities and towns are so spread apart yeah. that it's such a pain in the ass to travel back and forth for work that a lot of people will just work straight for a certain amount of time and then go home for a few days. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. That's rough. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) No, we're lucky to be where we are where there's everything very close to us. So yeah. Except each other because you guys are two hours apart. That's true. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But we're not freezing in like minus 40 degrees Celsius weather. Hey, so yeah. when some lose some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> now, Alberta is Canada's largest oil and natural gas producer. And Mark was working for a large oil and gas company called Encana Corporation, which is now known as Ovnative. 
But Mark, <laughs> fail again, Erica. I'm sorry. <laughs> Words are hard. But Mark was among the lower levels of this huge, huge organization, and times were really tough for the family. They were living in a townhouse, and they would have to stretch every last penny to make ends meet. Deborah would often go to the food bank to tide them over, and she took up some work doing house cleaning, but it was really, really, really tight. Like, they were just stretching everything to the last dollar. Yeah. Neighbors did say, though, uh, that they were a model family and never heard a harsh word spoken by any of them. Mark and Deborah treated each other and their kids with love and respect. And even when things were tight financially, Mark and Deborah would find time for their kids and do family activities, fun things, fun days out, whatever they could afford. Just sounds like a really wholesome family. Yeah. So they would take trips on their motorbikes. Deborah would do like a mother-son date with Jacob. Well, Mark did the same thing with JR and did like little daddy-daughter dates where JR would dress up. They would have dinner or picnic or anything like that. So it was really good for them, even with, yeah. you know, the very little that they had, which is really nice to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so thank you for introducing the Richardsons. Um <laughs> And now, in September of 2003, the Richardson's luck would change. Mark was able to upgrade his education by taking courses in electrical engineering, and he was promoted to instrument technician. Big words. Mm. Who knows what they mean? No idea. <laughs> um, in, in Canna Corp, paid for the family to move from Okotoks to Medicine Hat, which is probably the easiest place name to say. Yeah. Thank goodness. Medicine Hat. Nice. <laughs> what um, if I told you you said it wrong? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's um, Medicine Hat. Yeah. <laughs> and the T is silent, apparently, in a lot of these names. Medicine, medicine Ha. ha. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, that's perfect. That's <laughs> well, what it's now going to be referred to as. <laughs> um, Believe me, is... if if you quizzed us on any name in New Zealand, we would guarantee oh. get it wrong. <laughs> well, I can send you the longest place name if you'd like. Yes, yes. we would love that. <laughs> I've um, sent that to a few other um, podcasters who have, you know, I've spoken to and they're like, get fucked. Like, <laughs> can you say it? Uh, I can once I kind of look at it for a while. I can't knock this off the bat, but it's, okay. it's very long. Because the, the names are Māori, but it's um it it's a story within one word. Like it's a Whoa. whole story. Yikes. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. I love that. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. To, I need to I'll learn probably it. find it. Maybe at the end while I'm, I'll um, run it through with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, no, that's all right. That's all right. So Medicine Hat is about three hours away from Oak Totes, and they moved into what could only be described as a dream house. It was in the Ross Glen neighborhood. Hopefully that's right as well. <laughs> Those are these place names. Uh, so the house was 1,014 square foot, three bedroomed with a backyard, a deck. There was a tree with a big tire swing in the garden. They had a fenced in property. So a little bit of separation from their neighbors, which was a huge difference from the apartments that they were living in. Um, they had their own space and the Ross Glen neighborhood was... Uh, it was close to good schools. Everyone seemed really friendly, like it was just perfect. And I've got to ask, do you guys know much about Medicine Hat? Not a, <laughs> not a single stitch. But it sounds I've, very nice. It does. I've actually never even been. Have you been to Alberta, Rachel? No. 
Yeah, no. I've been out east, like eastern Canada, and got to and I think Rachel, you have too, haven't you? Yeah. You've been like times. as far east as you can as you can go. I've never been to Western Canada, not one time. So oh, wow. But it, apparently it is beautiful there. I did take a little snippet from Wikipedia. So yes. <laughs> it says, Medicine Hat is a thriving city of nearly sixty six thousand residents located in beautiful near the beautiful South Saskatchewan. River Valley. Medicine Hat is rightfully famous for its dramatic landscapes, abundant wildlife, and extraordinary sunshine. So it seems great. So is it in Saskatchewan? No, it's in Alberta, but it's right on the border of Saskatchewan. So I did put a little note because I do know, like I said, the West Coast is beautiful. I would love to go there and see like everything west of Mm. here. Unfortunately, I just never had had the chance, but it's located really close to the prairies of Saskatchewan. And so if you drive through the prairies, like they're just like an endless, you know, <laughs> wasteland. <field>. Of- <laughs> but <laughs> but apparently they're very nice. Like they're very. It's a a sight to see, right? It's, yes. it's like such a Canadian thing, um, and it's close to Calgary, which has like the Stampede, and then of course, like we know, Alberta has the mountains. Banff is in Alberta, right? Yeah, no. Banff, Alberta. Yeah. Is it? God, we are our grade eight geography is really <laughs> yeah. showing through. <laughs> So you have all that and it's Alberta's actually it's close to like closer to to British Columbia, right? So yeah. like you have like kind of Alberta sort of surrounded by the best of of really everything in Canada, oh, like what nice. makes people think of Canada. So yeah. it sounds great. And it is <laughs> very nice to, to hear uh, Canadian locals say Saskatchewan correctly. <laughs> yeah, how it should sound. Yeah, Saskatchewan and Saskatoon. Saskatoon. <laughs> I have, I, I have, I have been to Saskatoon, but I don't like. I was so little, I don't remember yeah. it. And we drove there through the state. Like, we drove from Ontario to Saskatoon by going through the states because it's faster. So I didn't get to see anything along the way in terms of Canada. (laughs) Just everything in the U.S. So, Well, yeah, yeah, when I was um, looking at how far away, you know, all the places that we're talking about today are, and I was just on Google Maps, like, Okotoks to here and all that. And it was, yeah, all going through the states. I was like, um... No, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> like trying to find the quickest way, but no, that's yeah. crazy that you can just go into another country to get to somewhere else yeah. in your own country. Yeah. It really makes yeah. no sense to me geographically. Geographically, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for some reason, it works out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh huh. So, life in Medicine Hat, the Richardsons household could be described as more or less normal. They continued with their date nights and their family fun weekends. Uh, Mark was working hard at the natural gas plant and Deborah started attending a two-month entrepreneur course, uh, which she passed. And little fun story, the day of her graduation, she had also won a makeover contest on the radio. So she decided to go to the makeup contest to have a little (laughs) me time instead of her graduation. She's already passed. It's not like she has to attend it. (laughs) You go, girl. Um, But she absolutely thrived with, you know, in this new life in Medicine Hat. So after the course, she was able to start her own business as, I'm going to say this wrong, as a Reiki practitioner. A Reiki, yeah. Reiki. Reiki. Yeah, Reiki practitioner, and she had set up a holistic studio in in the house, in their home. So, yeah, I had to look up what Reiki is, and I feel like if I need to look it up, I might as well. It, Rachel, actually, you know about this, yeah, right? I've actually oh. done a Reiki Tell course. Us. 
Yeah, it's actually, it's really cool. And it's basically healing through energy. And so there's like a whole process in, you know, attaining this power, I guess. Wow. But then you just like, you can literally put your hands like not even touching, but like next to someone's skin and they'll feel just the healing and like you can heal muscles and send energy across the world. Like it's very, if you're into it, it's very cool. But I mean, if you're not into it, it's like, um, okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, fair enough. Well, I mean, that's exactly what I've got, that it's an energy healing technique. And Deborah, as a practitioner, would use her hands. She'd also have like um, crystals and other um, objects. I don't know if there's a a better word for them, but like energy carriers, (laughs) I suppose, around her her studio. Um, And she was a very spiritual person, Deborah. She aligned herself with Wicca beliefs. And Mm. her favorite saying was, I love your bones and the skin they're in. Which I think is very much like a down to earth, a very, um, very inner like spiritual type of thing to say. Um, She also had a dream catcher with her in her studio because she believed that the memories of her tumultuous past would be ensnared in it. And she like had liked having those kind of objects around the place. Wow! Um, and I, I looked up again what Wicca was because again, if I need to look it up, I feel like I should say something about it. So, <laughs> um, and yeah, very very brief explanation. Wicca is a natural based pagan belief system or religion. They worship nature, which is often personified as Mother Earth and Father Sky. However, it is common for devout Wiccans or witches, as they refer to themselves as to choose particular gods or goddesses from different religions for personal devotion. So a lot of them take like Greek and Roman gods from their mythology and as part of their devotions. Um, it's a very yeah spiritual walk of life. They talk a lot about universal energy and how they can focus on things like that, like through healing, as you were just saying, Rachel. And um, yeah, Deborah, this was Deborah's business and her, the way she aligned her life, but it, she wasn't wishy-washy or anything. She it wasn't like this, everything's fine and nothing bad can happen. Like she definitely wasn't like that. She was described by a friend as a lioness who would do anything for her children. Ooh, so don't poke mama bear. Yeah. Do not. Yeah. Now, speaking of her children, little Jacob, the youngest child in the Richardson family, was described as an energetic, sometimes rowdy soul who loved hockey. He specifically loved a hockey player called Dave Tiger Williams. He was also a uh, huge Star Wars fan, which I can identify with a little bit. A little bit. I I might not be the biggest Star Wars fan out there. I truly am not. But I do love to sit down and do a marathon once in a while. So, yeah. He loved to play and act like a Jedi. And he played tag with the neighborhood kids and was referred to as a class clown by his kindergarten teachers. He wrote down once that he wanted to be a policeman or a soldier when he grew up. And the best thing he liked about himself was that he was so fast. Oh, and that he had, that he had a family. I just love him. I'm, I'm the fastest in my class. Watch this. Yeah. <laughs> you want to see and this? Speed? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, he just sounds like such a cutie. Yeah, he definitely does. I like that he said that he he liked that he had a family. Like, what yeah. little boy recognizes that? You know what I mean? No, yeah. I know he sounds so so cute. Yeah. and he was adorable. I've seen pictures of him. He was very adorable. Absolutely. 
Now, his older sister, J.R., was just shy of her 10th birthday when the family moved to Medicine Hat, but she was well-adjusted, friendly. She made a lot of friends really easily. She went to a Catholic school and was quiet but studious and an honor roll student. Now, she shared her mother's warm smile, had clear blue eyes, beautiful long dark hair. Her bedroom at the new home was a very typical preteen room. Uh, She had stuffed animals, books, a jewelry box. I think her walls were painted a shade of pink, very typical girl's room. JR and her friends would spend a lot of time together. They would watch movies, do their hair, go to the local 7-Eleven, which Rachel... Oh, my God. Do you guys have some... You have 7-Eleven in New Zealand, right? Do you have... Um, Oh, yes. No, actually, I think we do, but it's like the one-off. It's not like a huge thing. Yeah. (laughs) We used to go to 7-Eleven. That was like... That was the thing you did. You went to to Sev. Yeah, we called it Sev. (laughs) We went to Sam and got some nachos. <laughs> Skittles and a Slurpee. Yeah. Oh, my oh gosh. My I God. loved it. Let me just say we're going down to the dairy. Oh. Just, like Dairy Mart? Yeah. Or just the dairy? I don't know if that's where it's – it's the dairy. Oh. Is, is it like a, a convenience little, store? A little convenience store, but you can get some of them that are, like, tiny, that are, like, basics, and then some of them that are bigger that might have Slurpee machines and, like, okay. hot food stands and stuff. But cool. Just the dairy. Love it. I love like the different words for everything. Everybody <laughs> has. It just it blows my mind. Uh, so yeah, so they would go to the local 7-Eleven for Slurpees, hang out at the mall, and just be kids. Now, JR was in the local swim club. She took judo classes. At school, she was very talented in the arts, including music and drawing. She apparently adored her little brother. And when he was a little baby, there were she would take care of him so well and just like treat him like a little dolly that she mm. would hang around with. Uh, and she would make time to play with him at home, and they had a great relationship. Mark and Deborah family, like this yeah. family, just all, all around. Us, yeah. From yeah. all four members are just beautiful people. Mm. For now, right now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Now, Mark and Deborah couldn't have asked for a better move to Medicine Hat. Everything was falling into place. The kids were doing well, and their jobs were going well. There was no issues at all. So over the next year or so, as JR was in her sixth grade, her and her friends would start doing what most kids do. They pushed their limits with their parents <laughs> and other adults. They would test the limits with authority figures, question everything around them, including God and Catholic religion, question why God would allow suffering, why would God allow bad things to happen to good people and innocent people. But it also ended up as JR. She just had no desire to entertain the thought of God at all in the Catholic sense, you know? Yeah. Like she wanted and, to explore um, other realms, so. Yeah, absolutely. And so I am a, a practicing Catholic. I've, I've, I have been my whole life. The family is. It's generation thing. Um, but I, yeah, relate to this. You get to an age where you, you have to start questioning things. And, I mean, I do on a daily basis. And I think that helps with having a broad, um, you know, an open mind to other beliefs and other religions and other people and their um, opinions and thoughts and and their morals and whatnot. So I do relate to the questioning of everything, but for me, it was probably as I was getting older, so probably around 16, 17, as I was finishing, Mm -hmm. because I went to Catholic primary school, Catholic college, um, but yeah, 12, like I get it, but I was probably a bit older. But also her mom is wiccan and practicing that so that must be very confusing for her 
I yeah, in our notes actually right after um we were going to say she had her mother there and her Wiccan and Reiki spiritualistic uh, objects and practices of the home. So she did become fascinated with that. Mm-hmm. Um and I was just going to touch on is that I was never raised religious. I was baptized very early on with a grandparent who was very sick and wanted that, but we were never raised to be religious. So for me at 12, I wouldn't even have been thinking about questioning any kind of religion. And I I really don't know like how many 12 year olds actually are actively questioning Mm -hmm. that. Like why, do you know what I mean? And again, like maybe you can shed more light on that Lisa Marie, because you've, you were raised in a more religious environment, but I just really was never, it was not something that was pushed on me. So I would have never thought to even think about well, questioning yeah, that I, as a kid. I think I didn't, I didn't question it that young because I was going to Catholic school, church on the weekends, you know, a prayer before dinner every night. It's like, well, you know, this is life. And <laughs> then it was, again, why, why question it? Everything's good fine like, yeah. yeah exactly fine and yeah. then like life hits and then yeah. it starts getting shit as you get older no. yeah um so yeah um i think just with and you know in jr's situation she's got the two belief systems in the house i don't know how um much mark and because he he was the catholic how mm-hmm. much he not so much pushed it or, you know, was he going to church every Sunday while Deborah was doing her um, right. wicker things at home? Like there's not really any information about that, but yeah. I think that would be, yeah, for her to question at that age would. It, it, I, I think it would be no, more normal for her because of Deb, Deborah's yeah, beliefs absolutely. at home. So mm-hmm. yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. Right. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with her uh, questioning that. I was just, yeah. just something that was rattling around in my brain. Like I'm just thinking as a kid, I was never, you know, somebody that questioned that kind of stuff. So it's interesting. She goes home from Catholic school to all these crystals and, and incest and symbols around incest. her home. Incest. Incest. <laughs> Is that what I said? <laughs> <laughs> all these crystals and incest Yay. around. Sorry, I said incense. Incense. <laughs> Whoa. Huge Whoa. Let's take that one from the top. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so she goes from she goes home from Catholic school to all these crystals and incense and symbols around her home. Also, seeing how happy and zen her mother is, so she isn't going to ignore that. Obviously, this is now her her new thing. Mm-hmm. Jr. would fashion herself a pentacle out of black tape that she stuck to the wall opposite her bed. That can scream, you know, ooh, yikes, as it's a star within a circle. But in the Wiccan beliefs, it isn't a representation of Satan or the devil or good versus evil, but a symbol of faith, similar to the crucifix in Catholicism. So the five points symbolize the five elements of spirit, air, earth, water, and fire within the circle, representing the universe, which connects them all. This reminds me a lot of the craft. The craft, I know. And it's funny because um, at the beginning, when Lisa Marie was saying that the mom always had this saying. I thought she was going to say, light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. <laughs> nope, not the craft. <laughs> um, so just to explain, so the, this, the star that they use in Satanism, it actually inverts the star. So instead of the point being at the top, it's two points at the top. Is that right? The yeah, point's yeah, actually the top star. point. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's similar looking, but they're really different. And they're rep- it, they represent very different things. So... I also believe that JR would get in trouble actually at school once for um, she would draw the pentacle on her hand and they actually sent her home 
because she said, no, it's a Wiccan thing. It's a Wiccan thing. But they were like, no, that's a Satan thing. Well, especially at so, Catholic school. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. We're not taking any chances, Kate. <laughs> Get out of here. Wicca, Satanism, yeah. if it's not Catholic, it's not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but this was a symbol that was all around the Richardson house with her mother's business and spirituality. So it really wasn't a big deal in, in that home. Now, J.R. also became very interested in the goth scene. She would see the goth kids hanging around the mall, and she was fascinated with their form of self-expression, their extreme makeup, Mm. their clothing, and the artistic side of the goth culture really spoke to her. Now, she, like we said, was an artist herself, so that's not surprising. Remind me what year this is. To about right now we're in about 2005 okay uh, going into 2006 so this actually was kind of a big thing at that time more yeah. so in the 90s i feel was when it really boomed but still in the early 2000s we were seeing a lot of kids doing this yeah uh, she started to dabble dressing in black painting her nails uh dark colors wearing a choker necklace uh, she would wear oversized hoodies and would wear clothes that had popular goth band logo- logos on them, like the Misfits. We've all, I think, seen that T-shirt. Rachel, even you've seen it, I'm sure. On you. Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Back in the day, not anymore. Um, so, yeah. So, just that kind of stuff. But she also started listening to heavy metal music. But being the artistic girl that she was, it was the lyrics that really captivated jr and she would say that she loved the creativity in the songs over the violence that they were singing about because if you do look at we talked about this in um the elise paler episode the lyrics in the slayer songs remember we talked about those bands there so those songs are quite violent but they're more of like an artistic thing over just violence for the sake of violence So JR would actually say it's expressive and it lets out a feeling. It's not all about killing people. So, Hmm. and I agree with that. And Rachel, you know, this, as I was growing up and in high school, I would get angry. I would get mad. And I would listen to Marshall Mathers, the Marshall Mathers LP, which was Eminem's, I think like second big album. And I would listen to that. I still know that CD start to finish pretty much. I can sing it because I would get so mad. Did I think that, he was doing any of that stuff? Absolutely not. Did right. it inspire Did it me? you want to do? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> That's not. That's a big question. <laughs> yeah. I just felt a lot better after belting those tunes out. Yeah, I you got your do. angry energy out. Exactly. Exactly. So do you have any bands like that, Lisa Marie, that you? Uh, probably not. So well, Marshmallow is absolutely Eminem. However, um, my dad wouldn't really <laughs> like his daughter listening to Eminem. He's a huge fan of Eminem, but he doesn't, you know, wants to protect his daughter. Of course. I listened to it on the side. So like once I got like a little MP3 or an iPod, it'd be the first things going on there. Um, and I went to, you know, see Eminem when he came over a couple of years ago. And oh, he was oh, <laughs> so jealous. Our dream. Yeah, our dream. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was very good. Very good. Um, but I, my kind of dad, because I was a wannabe goth, like I would, I actually cut my fringe to be the whole like sits across the eyebrow, like more, pu- yes. I think more punky goth rather than mm-hmm. just like full on. Um, I have dyed my hair black quite a fair few times and I, I wanted to be, but my personality didn't fit it. Like I'm probably too nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was listening to uh, Avril Lavigne. 
Okay. Yes. Yep. Um, mm. The Veronicas. I don't know if that was. Yep. I know yeah. Veronicas. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that was kind of my dark music. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I love that Avril is dark music. I think yeah. as our Canadian gem, oh. she's a. <laughs> oh, exactly. And just I think it was her look. But again, that's I suppose that's more like pop punk rather than goth. But black is a great color. It's a slimming yeah. color. It's a beautiful color. <laughs> it really is. Um, little weird fact, and my mom might listen to this and correct me because I'm not 100% sure. I'm pretty sure that Avril Lavigne was born at the same hospital that I was. Just so everyone knows. <gasps> Connections. <laughs> Connections. <laughs> I could be wrong about that. My mom will have to. I know that she's from Napanee, which is really close. I was born um, in a town like really close to Napanee, but there's something that tells me she was born at that same hospital. But my mom might know better. So if she listens to this, mom, <laughs> let us know. Let us know. <laughs> Hi, Erica's mom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I suppose just on that with media. Um, I know we are going to talk about a, a media thing later on, but also, um, you know, Satanic Panic was the 80s, so a couple of years after this one, but there was a whole thing with like Dungeons and Dragons and everything. And with uh, JR talking about how it's not all about killing people and then obviously what she's going to do, there was that yeah. whole like, again, is it media doing this to children? Absolutely not. I no, am like the first. Yeah. <laughs> Just put that I, there. No. Yeah. I will be the first one to say that I absolutely don't. That's like, I, I really feel like individuals should be held accountable mm. for, for their individual actions. And like, um, we mentioned like Elise Paler and the Slayer thing. Um, yeah. There's been other cases. We know like the West Memphis three is such a huge case and they blamed heavy metal and, Judas Priest and D&D and all of that kind of stuff. Columbine. Columbine was another one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which actually I'm pretty sure Columbine, the the media that we're going to be talking about in this episode, the the, film that comes up later is the same film and and one of the films that inspired Columbine or they say inspired Columbine. (laughs) Um, But I, I absolutely don't believe that a movie or a video game or a song can have the power to control somebody's actions to the point where they commit a crime this egregious yeah yeah absolutely 100 even small crimes like i don't believe you can listen to a song and then go in and you know shoplift and say the song told me to like it doesn't make sense to me but i'm not i I don't know i'm not a mental (laughs) health professional or a psychiatrist so yeah so yeah with jr's somewhat personality changes with her i suppose her outward parents and whatnot also came the great puberty changes which oh. we all know and love fun <laughs> fun uh, fun absolutely. good times uh, good however times. jr seemed to develop and go through puberty quite a lot earlier and faster than her peers making the 11 year old around this time look closer to be 15 16 years Ooh, old that's yeah. sucks. Yeah. Now, according to uh, Robert Remington, who's the author of the book, The Runaway Devil, which pretty much is where a lot of our information for this case has come from. It's a very, very good book. Uh, He states, quote, girls who reach early puberty are at risk for delinquency behavior and aggressive behavior, end quote. And I mean, there's been multiple studies over the years. There's so, you know, so many studies about this that point out that girls who develop early are also more likely to be depressed, socially socially withdrawn moody and sexually active at an earlier age Mm -hmm. um 
I, <laughs> I relate to this because I have always been really tall for my age. I've always looked older. Uh, my childbearing hips came in very early on <laughs> and I've always been a lot taller and bigger than you know, the girls in, in, that I went to school with. So I get this and I can see where the, um, the mood, like when they say moody, because I feel like all girls who go through puberty are moody because who wants to be leading for <laughs> weeks enough, every though. month of your life. So interesting word, of, interesting word choice. Um, but yeah, it is quite hard Mm -hmm. um but that you know that's again another way to relate to what jr might be feeling around this time (laughs) yeah absolutely especially with like self-esteem when you're so much more advanced than your peers it becomes like how do i fit in i don't want to i'm going to take my boobs down because none of the other girls have boobs and that's not fair people point it out whether it's a compliment or not it's like oh damn girl look at you go and it's like look at your little niblet it's so weird. Snap when... your bra too. And it's like, get out of here. I always found that so bizarre when people would point out when kids were growing, like when little girls started getting boobs. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Why do you stop sexualizing this? my 10 year old? Yeah. I don't know. I'm still yeah. uh, hitting puberty, you guys. <laughs> still, I don't think I've gone through it fully. I'm just kidding. But I do still get ID. I never had that problem growing up. I literally looked like a kid. Until I wasn't any longer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I, like I, I said, no I'm. I get ID'd, even though I probably should because I'm only 25 and you're meant to get ID'd if you look under 25, but yeah. I haven't been ID'd for ages. <laughs> I haven't been ID'd. I haven't been ID'd in the last couple of years, but like up until I turned 35, I was getting ID'd all the time. Now, I don't so much anymore. And especially, I do, I do a lot of my shopping with my husband, and he's like an elderly person. So <laughs> if we're together, <laughs> I don't get ID'd with him. <laughs> Um, but just touching on what Rachel said, I've seen a lot of girls, like, because I work in a school, and even though I work with kindergarten, we have up until grade eight at our school. And like, you can really tell the girls that have hit that stage earlier than their peers and the struggles that they're going through. And I mean, they have a lot of behavioral issues, but you you just know that many of those behaviors are coming from they just don't understand what's happening to their bodies, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a yeah. huge change that we have to go through. Yeah, yeah. Tough. yeah. Yeah. JR certainly did exhibit some of these traits. Uh, her circle of friends started to become very excluded from their peers in their class, and they were starting to be labeled bad because of mm. their new dark looks and how they all changed. So they started becoming angry about this because they probably don't feel like they're being bad, but now they're being told they're bad so yeah so with JR physically developing at a much quicker rate than her friends another layer of social awkwardness I mean as you know we've just said she's the one that's got boobs she's the one that's wearing an underwire where they're still wearing training bras and it's and it's being pointed out and it's awkward it's Mm -hmm. awkward for her um Mm -hmm. and Deborah her mum said that she really did struggle with her self-esteem about this totally get that Totally. Uh, in the summer of 2005, JR started to venture to the online world. It was the boom of social media. And this was a place where you could be anyone you wanted. You could sign up and be anyone. Um, she signed up to a site called mindbiz.com. I don't know if that's still around. Or yeah, no, I don't, <laughs> don't even think so. Never heard of this yeah. one. No. Yeah. Uh, and, but it was pretty much just 
you know, instant messaging and chat rooms, early Facebook like things. I mean, yeah, Facebook, yeah, was pretty, yeah. was all of these things combined really. But um, on this website, she presented herself as single with a dog. Interesting. And she also <laughs> listed her sexuality as bisexual. Hmm. So yeah. there's the early sexual activity traits that the study was talking about, but oh. she's 11. Yeah, it's yeah. if that's what she identifies as, then that's that's great, and she knows that about herself. But she's 11, probably not the age to be worrying about who you're going to share an intimate relationship with. And posting that online is pretty mm-hmm. risky. And yes. I'm sure I think you probably put this in here, but I'm sure she didn't list her age. Didn't list yeah, her age no, as 11. She didn't, no, mm-hmm. no, not on not on this site. Yeah, but um, her profile picture for this site, and it's probably the most famous picture of her, or you know, at least one of the top two um, most famous pictures of her. Um, you know, it's a black and white or like sepia filtered photo. She's got her long hair down. She's got makeup on. So she looks older because that's what makeup can do. But she's also holding a pretty convincing replica of a handgun up to the ceiling. Oh, okay. Uh, So it's very dark. It's very moody. But yeah, no, she did not look 11 years old in that picture. I don't think anyone would have guessed that. So which is why she could get away with being on a website like this. Um, And I suppose that is the that's the curse of social media yes you can be anyone you want to be and portray yourself how you want but you need to be careful about how you're doing so oh, if yeah. you don't want to be you know and put up a, a persona which is obviously what jr is doing especially in those yeah in those early days of social media like these chat rooms it was a gross place like, it was a free-for-all of just yeah. like the nastiest humans alive yeah all coming together and then yeah. 15 year old girls going on there to try to have a laugh at their yeah. expense <laughs> it was and gross. egg them on yeah. yeah we were yeah. terrible so, people we were <laughs> we were awful awful humans <laughs> well i was i was very late to the social media game uh, my parents were quite shook around it for good reason. Yeah. Obviously me at 13 years old where all of my friends had Facebook, all my friends had Instagram and all that and Snapchat. And I wasn't allowed. Obviously I, I look back and I'm grateful now, but yeah. at the time it was like ugh, rude, but I was late to the social media game. So, I mean, when I got on it, it was like kid in a candy store and I was adding friends and liking this and chatting here and chatting there. And I, um, I did a, a, collab with another podcast called murdery you know and we did a case that happened in new zealand but i had actually spoken to the offender a <gasps> two years before it happened what? Um, what? online yeah so no. uh, quick little like um piece so the it was the grace Mullane case i don't know if you guys yeah are, i do yeah. so yep the um the perpetrator the guy who unfortunately took her life I actually spoke to him online two years prior. Um, he had just like hit me up one day just as a message request on Facebook and me being like, yeah, okay, whatever. And had a like, it was very boring, very non-memorable conversation um, with him online. And then two years later he does this and a mutual mm-hmm. friend, uh, or friend, not mutual friend, a friend of mine said we're mutual friends with him on Facebook. Whoa. That's insane. It's dangerous and it's scary. That's so scary how close that was to just, this is too close for comfort. Yeah. And knowing my mindset when we were messaging at the time, if he was like, do you want to go get a coffee? 
hell yeah, hell I would yeah. have got a coffee. Are you paying? I'm getting the expensive yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then for me, oh, a boy's taking notice in me kind of thing. And it's, I definitely would have. But then when I found out, you know, two years on, I like shut down like huge privacy on all my social medias. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I had had my daughter at that point. So things were pretty locked up already, but I was like, nope, okay, nope, nope, nope. Cause that was scary. Very terrifying scary. holy yeah. cow so social media it's a dangerous game it truly truly is yeah except yeah. back at the time when she would have been going on these sites back in the early 2000s um security for young people like it was just as easy as yeah i mean there's still very little security now but it was even mm. less so back then and i think parents from that would have had kids around jr's age at that time she they wouldn't have known as much as what parents hopefully know yeah. now right Absolutely. about keeping their kids safe online mm-hmm. so yeah. all those like adult sites it was just click here if you're over 18 okay <laughs> so, and then you click there and you get a pornado yeah like no problem <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so jr would join many of these chat rooms including myspace which is one that i have heard of <laughs> <laughs> unlike members um, and on myspace she claimed to be 16 years old and mm. her username was x underscore madness underscore x <laughs> oh wow yeah. sounds legit yeah mm. <laughs> on myspace she had to list her likes her likes included hatchets oh unless you're a lumberjack that's worrisome serial <laughs> <laughs> killers Fair. Same, but I put it under true crime. True crime. Maybe a yeah. subsection serial killers. But okay. okay. Yes. Uh, criminal psychology. Cool. Yeah. Same. Blood. Don't know. Maybe. Depends on the aspect. <laughs> like, yeah. The science of it. Maybe. Yep. Anything else? No. Not no. so much. Yep. Having it and not losing it. I'm all in. That's on yes. my likes as well. <laughs> um, moonlight also same that's cool that's cool yeah human anatomy same as the blood as long as it's the science of it that's fine (laughs) (laughs) and also kinky shit oh well she's 11 writing this like that how do you know that word that's how do you know what kinky shit is this word and also like even the criminal psychology you're 11 dude like go watch care bears and listen to spice girls what the fuck and blippy yeah yeah (laughs) so yeah interesting yeah those hmm. it's like some are okay and some are part of me i wonder if I wonder if she had to type these or whether it came up with like a, a checkbox. You know what I mean? Like you can go through and they'll give you like a. Back then she would have had to type it. Yeah. Would have had I to type it. MySpace. Yeah. That, things were not as sophisticated. Worrisome. Now yeah. I want to know what her song was and who her top five are. Oh, we'll get well, there. We have got, um, we've <gasps> oh, got her heroes. We've okay. got her yeah. listed down as heroes. <laughs> Do you want to go through them again, Erica? Yeah, sure. So her heroes included Batman. Fair. Batman. She's 11. Black. Yeah. Now. Where is she? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, well, quick. So my brother, uh, he's 27, 28. Biggest Batman fan you'll ever find. He told my daughter, he's like, don't tell anyone, but Uncle Jack is Batman. And it's like <laughs> the big secret she keeps, but she doesn't keep it a secret. She tells anyone and everyone. <laughs> uh-huh, I am oh, obsessed. So Batman is hero in our house, definitely. <laughs> That's so cute. That is really cute. 
Um, her next hero is Danny Filth, which is the founder of a heavy metal band called Cradle of Filth, which ties into her new interest in the goth scene. No issues there, but is he really one of her heroes? She's probably known of Danny Filth for like five seconds. Right. Come on. I don't even know who Danny Filth is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. She also really loved Chris Angel, so that's neat. Oh, but yeah. remember when he like he was really cool back in the day. He really Chris was. Angel Mind Freak was yeah. one of my favorite shows. <laughs> yeah. When he could like hold his breath in that tub of whatever for like days. You're like, what in the hell? Wait, that was the other one. Oh, Who David Blaine. That? Yeah, he was the one who held his um, breath. But Chris Angel, he floated, didn't he? Or like Yeah, he did. You know what I watched him do is come out of his mother's suitcase in a hotel room. Like out of a Wait, tiny like suitcase. <laughs> Wait, he came what? out of he, she opened he her suitcase. <laughs> she opened her suitcase and case and he came out of it. Like a oh, small wow. suitcase on a table. And yeah. it was like, I remember that blowing my mind. I was like, but there's nothing under the table. Where did he come from? <laughs> and I remember my dad's like, it's TV. You can't yeah. know where. <laughs> it's a camera trick. Well, I think with uh, his look as well, at the time that I was watching Chris Angel, it was the look, so gothy. the look, the yeah. gothy, yeah. punky, like, I was like, um, what do they call them? The like, side swoop bang. Yeah. They call them, like, uh, club kids or something. Isn't that what they're yeah, called? Yeah, something like that. I, that's probably more who I aligned with. Yeah. Um, and then her last one, which I know what everyone's going to say, this is very problematic now. It wasn't back then, but Marilyn Manson, which I think a lot of people in 2006 that were into this scene would, would have said the same thing. Yeah. Not so much now because he's kind of gross. Not kind of gross. He is. Yes. But back then. Um, and then <laughs> just to like make sure that she had a well-rounded list of heroes, her last one is Jeffrey Dahmer. And oh, pardon awesome. me, ma'am. a hero. Um, <laughs> I'm not really all, sure. You're 11. <laughs> do you even rules? know what he did like he's not a hero <laughs> but i mean knowing her and what she goes on to do okay sure and too bad there wasn't like myspace monitors because like hatchet blood criminal psychology <laughs> jeffrey dahmer like, oh yeah. whoop, whoop, red flag whoop. where's the again, alarm again there's still nothing like that now right like it's true, i know isn't. i know tiktok tries to limit the age but do they i doubt it like no, they, there's no fake way account. yeah <laughs> yikes i hate it yeah, yeah. so it. that was her you know the beginning of her online activity which obviously we're going to learn a bit more about later on but when she went back to school in the fall of 2005 she had completely changed seemingly not just her looks but like full-on had emerged herself in like the goth personality as well so the school counselors noted that jr went from being a reserved girl who didn't create any waves to breaching all of the dress codes at the school her skirts hmm. were getting shorter and shorter by the day she was wearing chains and extremely dark makeup and for a catholic school <laughs> no 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 yeah <laughs> Um, she started drifting away from the small group of friends that she did have and just it just seemed that whatever they wanted to do she would take it to the next level very quickly and a, a lot quicker even if her friends were on the same path <laughs> JR would already be there so yeah. she did find herself some new friends and this were a couple of goth kids that hung up hung out at the local mall and this would be 19 year old Raven <gasps> And 21-year-old trench coat. 
Yes, I am obsessed with those names, Raven and Trenchcoat. That's <laughs> but she's amazing. all Raven, cool. But yes, no, not the 19 versus 11-year-old. And 21-year-old Trenchcoat trench hanging coat. out with an 11-year-old. I can't. I don't That's understand. fucked up. Mm. Now, Raven and Trenchcoat, they would say later on how they, they loved her. Like, she was really easy to be friends with, uh, which obviously, that you know, we said that at the start about her personality. She made friends easily, so she carried this with her even with the changes that she was going through um she also did start briefly dating a 16 year old called devon or devon 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 um and he would later on say that jr was much more mature than other girls and that he had no idea that she was only 12 to which i say you don't ask a birthday or a name to someone or the age of someone you're dating maybe a 16 year old i still think at 16 you should definitely definitely have the common sense to do that it's the two older guys and rachel we have talked about this before Uh when we were in high school i don't know if you've had this experience lisa marie but we used to hang around in a group but there was always like the creepy 20 year old and yeah. we thought he was so cool because you drive around in his car and you do all this fun stuff yeah. and you're like yeah and he'll like buy smokes and booze for you but then as an adult i think back and i'm like why though Gross. are you hanging around me like i w- i mean we were yeah. at least 15 16 but still that is weird yeah i remember when um i was like oh, gosh it would have been nine or ten we were hanging out with like this 18 year old and what? just hanging out on his front porch. Yeah. And again, we were like, this is so cool. But what was bro thinking? Like, yeah. absolutely not. And there was like three of us. We were all 10 and 11 just hanging out with this guy and oh, his yes. friends. So they were all like so 18. Disturbing. Like they were grade 12. And that's when, oh, yeah. That's disturbing. I don't understand. Well, I <laughs> Leave always, the kids alone. I always hung out with older kids just because they were like my brother's friends. So, and uh, like through his sports teams and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. and I was very tomboy as well. Like, and I didn't really have a lot of like girl mates because they were all a bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pitchy. We're all going through puberty at this age. We all hate each other. Um, <laughs> so, I, yes, I would hang out, but it wouldn't be by myself. Like, it would be with my brother or in a, you know, so yeah, yeah, problematic. Very <laughs> just problematic. thinking, why would a nineteen and a twenty-one year old want to? Right? What do you like have in common? Saying, yeah, like yeah. how was well, math class today? Did you learn your nine times table? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Jr. would continue to find and join up to all those social media pages that aligned with all of her newfound personality and just those characteristics she was trying to attain in this like um, goth world that she wanted to live in. She would post dark poetry and pictures of her gothic makeup, heavy metal and goth song lyrics uh, that she was into. But the site she was joining seemed to get darker and darker. And in November of 2005, JR would join a site called vampirefreaks.com, which still exists. No, I think no it's way. a clothing it's a clothing store now though. Oh, okay. It's not it's not what it was, but it's it's the same website, but now it's like a clothing. They it's All a right. brand. Yeah. It's a brand, not just a social media site. Uh-huh. Um she listed her age as 15 years old and used the username X underscore killer kitty underscore X. Oh now, I actually like that name. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be my new drag name. Yes. <laughs> 
She joined another site two weeks later called Zorpia.com under the username Runaway Devil, a name that she's going to use from this point forward. And in late September, she joined another Canadian social media site called Nexopia. And Rachel, I know that you probably don't remember this, but I did look it up. It's like a Reddit site. And it's the same site, if you remember all the way back to our very third episode. Episode three, Cody Lejibokov, he was noted as being the youngest serial killer in Canadian history. Yeah, yeah. And that's where he found at least one of his victims was on Nixopia.com. I have never heard of that site other than true crime. So I don't know. Do I want to go on it? (laughs) No, I don't. No, maybe not. Sorry, Nexopia, if you if anyone from there is listening, I don't mean to dog your shit. Shut website, your shit down but... because you breed <laughs> serial killers. Yeah. <laughs> so in her profile on Nexopia, she wrote, I am the almighty Jax. I think that's okay to say that. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. That's how yeah. Yeah. Bow down. I think deep thoughts. I am quiet, emotion or I am quite emotional and my mood is ever changing, although I can be a very very good at hiding my feelings. I don't trust easily. I either have lots of energy or very little. I like to make attempts. I mean, yeah. Yeah. All the time. (laughs) I like to make attempts at poetry and anime. I make wookie noises and often scare small children. Girl, same. Just saying. (laughs) I do this at school a lot. That is troublesome in your line of work, Erica. (laughs) Hey. Um, don't judge my teaching style. It works for me. I, uh, uh, she goes on to say, I am often, often afraid of llamas. I am told I am mentally R word, which I won't say. Mm-hmm. Often I am loud and bounce a lot. When I am hyper, I like to dress up and want an Edward Scissorhands outfit. Sick. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> Other people live in my head with me. I like random questions. I like, oh, sorry. I am a gangster sometimes. Don't worry. I'm not. Rachel. No. Rachel is a gangster. Uh, yeah, I sometimes watch Teen Titans because I'm that cool. I play guitar and I suck. Well, at least she's honest. <laughs> and she also noted on her dislikes on the page and she said her dislikes were homophobia, Good. ageism, sexism, yeah. hypocrites, public transportation, being dried out, I do not know what that means. I don't want to know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Bunnies, llamas, people who take things from my profiles, chlorine As in my in, hair. Don't steal my shit, bitches. I'm watching you. <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what, JR? I'm taking this whole thing and sticking it in Facebook tonight. But also, <laughs> what does she have against llamas? I don't know. Uh, she also professed a dislike for small children Mm, yeah i can relate no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) we we like them when they're not ours yeah yeah (laughs) but even that sometimes when they are yours it's questionable (laughs) (laughs) no no sometimes i do love you um that is chaotic and really it's it's she's it's very childlike how she you know jumps around in her sentencing and the languages that she used like I like to bounce a lot it's like bounce I don't think I've ever taught like I jump do I is that what I'm doing yeah (laughs) and it's yeah yeah I don't know it's yeah she's you can tell she's trying to appear older but it's coming off as very immature at the same time 
yeah yeah and then this whole like i play guitar and i suck like is that the whole i've got to degrade myself because i'm goth like is that what yeah that's very yeah. Know, very emo even sounding yeah <laughs> Now, since it's been a bit of a hot minute since we spoke about the amazing Mark and Deborah, JR's parents, it's important to note that they really had nothing against JR's new look and her form of self-expression through her clothing, makeup, poetry, music, etc. These were all changes that kids were going through and went through, and they never told her to stop, which I think is great. Awesome. The issues started to arise when JR would get caught sneaking out of the house at night, going to concerts that she very much was too young to be attending at 11 or 12 years of age. She was hanging out with much older kids, in particular the older boys. But they never had an issue with how she was dressing or the music she was listening to, which, great, but I think as a parent, you need to be aware of those other things, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just so that everyone can remember what a great set of parents JR actually had here. Mm. Unfortunately, JR and her brother Jacob's relationship did start to change dramatically as well. They were once very loving siblings, but now she was af- now he was afraid of her and by the sounds of it, she would go out of her way to scare him with, you know, wookie noises. Aww. I wish I could make a wookie noise for real. I was kidding earlier when I said that, but I That's that's pretty good. Yeah. But he's I a really- Star Wars fan, right? So Yeah, so he wouldn't be afraid of Chewbacca. Chewbacca's a good guy. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but yeah. Maybe in the dead of night with your sister who's got dark makeup on. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> if you just have a Wookiee coming at you. <laughs> on one occasion, JR was meant to babysit Jacob, but she got invited out by some friends and she just left him home alone. Aww. He would end up calling his parents saying that he couldn't find JR and they came home immediately and she wasn't there. And rightfully, they were pretty pissed off with her and she was grounded. And I will tell a story about <laughs> okay. one time. I did this. However, and Rachel, I was with you. I was with you. This was when I was, I think I was 16 or 17. And my brother was about six, like, I think I wrote, I wrote in the notes that he was eight, but he must have been younger than that. Because I don't think I was 18. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have gotten grounded for it as an adult. (laughs) So I think I was a bit, yeah. But I remember leaving and he was running across the yard. And I was like, and I we always used to say like, get lost, Sam, because he was always bugging us, right? So annoying. (laughs) But I stand by the fact that my parents did not tell me they were leaving. I had no idea that they were gone. One of the cars was still in the driveway. So I thought Uh, maybe like... One of them I thought would have been home, but I left and my mom came home and like, where is your sister? And I was in so much trouble. I was grounded. I think that's when I ran away to your house, Rachel. Fair enough. Oh my God, you ran away. (laughs) Because I was so, for one night. I'm out of here. That was Erica's. God, (laughs) I ran away for one night, but I did do that. Same thing. I came back. Now she would outwardly, JR would outwardly say how much she hated her little brother. I never did that. I loved Sam. He was annoying, but I loved him. Yeah. And uh, she would always say how he annoyed her. And it got to the point where he refused to walk with her after school because of how scared he was of her. In that year's family Christmas photo, JR was unrecognizable to anyone who knew her from Okotoks. And she was stone faced pale and gothed out so she was almost like a shadow of that beautiful little girl that she was the year prior yeah Uh, everything would change for jr when just after her 12th birthday in october of 2005 while hanging around with her new crowd of friends she would be formally introduced to a 22 year old guy 
named Jeremy Stanky. Stanky? Oh, he's Stanky, stanky all right. Stanky, he's Stanky. What the fuck is a 22-year-old doing with a 12-year-old? They had seen each other occasionally around the goth scene and at different concerts and stuff. But it seemed that a mutual friend actually introduced them to each other. I think this was a 14-year-old girl that JR knew from that scene. Which is fine. 14 and 12. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. 22-year-old? No, 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 no. No. Now a 12-year-old? No, 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 no. How how is Jeremy Steinke friends with a 14-year-old? Is what I want to know too, right? Like it's just as bad. So anyways, Lisa Marie, would you like to tell us who Jeremy Steinke is? Give us the deets. So Jeremy Allen Steinke was born on January 15th in 1983. His mother was Jacqueline May and his father, we don't know his name, but they were both alcoholics Mm. to the extreme, unfortunately. And even though Jacqueline states that she never drank during her pregnancy with Jeremy, it would be later discovered that he suffered from fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And yeah, this occurs when a person has been exposed to alcohol before birth. So I don't think Jacqueline was quite telling the the truth yeah um and in a quick nut- nutshell i have spoken about fasd on one of my episodes before about a um a new zealand case actually uh, a young man named Tanner porter he had fasd like really bad like he it was awful and he ended up admitting to a crime he didn't commit and spent like 20 years in prison for it oh and no it was crazy yeah um, um, and I was just going to touch on, too, is that if you look at pictures of Jeremy Steinke, Rachel, I'll show you pictures. And I think you'll see that those facial features, right. just from what I know about um, FASD as well, it's pretty bang on for yeah, what yeah, you would obvious. expect. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So in a nutshell, people with FASD tend to have issues in their physical and mental development. They may experience behavioral and learning problems, low IQ, uh, your facial characteristics there are some that uh, are in alignment with FASD and Jeremy also did have ADHD so he just kind of started off life with a lot of disadvantages Mm -hmm. um, before like and that's just the the nature bit never mind the the nurture that we're about to learn in his environment um Jeremy's father was not only an alcoholic, but an abusive one at that. At two years old, Jeremy would be beaten with a belt and dragged around by his ear. Oh my God. Um, Jeremy did become a big brother at four years old to a sister. And shortly after her birth, Jeremy's parents did separate and he would very rarely see his father again and not until he was a a bit older. Um, Unfortunately, though, Jacqueline, his mother, fell into a pattern of finding abusive partner after abusive partner. Jeremy's first stepfather, his first stepdad, had three of his own children, and they all blended together, but he would mass punish all of the kids. So if one was in trouble, they all were in trouble, and they were made to watch the other siblings be beat up and punished for whatever happened, even tied up to watch what he was doing to them oh my god that is horrific yeah uh his second stepfather used jeremy as a literal punching bag he would uppercut him hit him repeatedly in the back of the head smash his face in with a refrigerator door and just (gasps) relentlessly lay into him which obviously with the you know the the disadvantage already diagnosis yeah yeah 
um not a good combination oh my gosh and he probably yeah. doesn't know because of his developmental delays doesn't know even what's tr causing it so he can't even exactly. like avoid it if he wanted to and mm -hmm. oh or like if he could oh my yeah. gosh that's so yeah. sad uh, at around the age of 13 14 years old jeremy did start fighting back um okay. this uh stepfather who used him as a punch bag uh he had broken his mother's jaw during a violent outburst and jeremy grabbed a lead pipe and chased him around the house with it like smacking him and swaying at him and he ended up breaking his stepfather's arm with this lead pipe good um, which is but it just goes to show that there's just alcohol and violence and everything yeah. at every point in his life um yeah. so it came as no surprise when drugs entered the picture at 14 years old, he was already consuming weed and alcohol on a daily basis. Uh, the marijuana did help with his ADHD, but it wasn't being used medicinally or right. <laughs> recreationally. Um, Jeremy was also bullied relentlessly at school for his home situation and also his uh, developmental delays. And his last name, <laughs> he would be called Stinky instead of Steinkey. And yeah, yeah. kids are shits. <laughs> yeah. Like to do that. <laughs> Um, so yes, yeah, so just any and all reasons that you could tease someone for, Jeremy was teased for it. Oh, um, poor kid. I mean, I know he's yeah. evil, but as a child, poor kid. As a child, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was also around this age. Uh, it was also around the age of fourteen that Jeremy fell into the goth scene, which was another reason to tease him or just like isolate him even further from his peers. Uh, but he was fascinated by the you know the mythical creatures, the vampires, the werewolves that kind of side to it. And he would even start to proclaim himself as a 300 year old werewolf. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he would start dressing in all black, the heavy dark eyeliner. He would also make comments about the full moon and say like, don't go to this park tonight because I might wolf out and you know, oh. I don't know how to control myself. Like he would, you know, make comments like that. Um, he also started wearing a vial of blood around his neck. Whose blood? That's his own. His, okay. own. his own. I'm sure it was. I think in the book it wasn't specific. It said they weren't sure whose blood it was, but they were pretty sure it was his own. Yeah, so I'd gross. imagine it, it was his. Um, yep. And he, yeah, just fully submerged into the goth genre. So, yep. yeah. So even if pretending to be a werewolf could be seen as an escape for Jeremy, reality was or reality was always there when he got home to his alcoholic mother and whatever abusive boyfriend she was seeing at the time. Oh. Jeremy would attempt suicide by hanging, but would say that it was more or less half-assed, but he would start self-harm by cutting his wrists. At 14? At uh, around the age yeah. of 14, 15, yeah. So, like, mentally that makes sense where he's a, not attracted to, but drawn to younger kids because his trauma response and his kind of brain development had probably was stunted at Stopped, that yeah. age. Yeah. And so he's yeah. more relatable to those kids that age yikes at 15 he was taking much harder drugs than weed and one might be and one night he was so intoxicated and high that he passed out while outside and nearly died of hypothermia mm. luckily he was taken to a hospital he ended up dropping out of high school early had really no friends there didn't seem to be any record of child services stepping in which this is a constant thing mm -hmm. at least around where i am from and I imagine that it's Canada-wide and probably 
Oh, from yeah, what I yeah, can yeah. tell, worldwide. Yeah. Well, and if he's, yeah. if he's 16 already at this point, too, CAS isn't going to do anything. They're not going to do shit yeah. all. Uh, Jeremy was bounced between living with his mom and his biological father. And he was just really alone and, and quite felt quite unwanted anywhere that he was. Yeah. He did date a young girl when he was 17 years old, but there's not really a lot known about that. And this girlfriend would say that after they split up, he seemed to just hang around with younger kids from that point on. And mm-hmm. I believe, didn't he get somebody pregnant at one point? <gasps> I'm not 100%. I think it was the 17 year old girlfriend. I, I, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I, I'm pretty sure that just before he met JR, he had been in a relationship with another young girl. She was 17, and yeah. he had gotten her pregnant, but then they split. So, mm, yikes. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. But like, Jer- so did she have the yes. kid? Yeah, is, he, is there a spawn of them? I don't think she had the kid. No, okay. sorry. <laughs> don't ask me any follow up questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I suppose taking into account the FASD, his head trauma that he had suffered, and everything else, he was hanging out with kids who were mentally the same age as him, like Rachel yeah. had touched on there. Mm-hmm. And the werewolf aspect to his persona was also a hit for these new goths. They thought he was so cool. Like, look at him. He's a, he's a There's real... There's a werewolf in our group. Like, obviously, <laughs> yeah. we're going to hang out with him. No. <laughs> yeah. In 2005, Jeremy was back living with his mom and Jacqueline, his mom Jacqueline at the time. And she had actually violated a restraining order that was in place against her from one of her on again off again boyfriends and he had an order against her because she had stabbed him in a drunken argument so okay yeah uh so not to victim blame or dismiss any abusive relationship she was in but Jacqueline did have a lot of those toxic traits and behaviors as well as that we'll see with Jeremy right shit she did have to go to a treatment facility but she didn't stay there because you can only help someone so much right? Mm-hmm. They have to want to help themselves. Yep. Yeah. So now at 22 years old, Jeremy is still very much in that toxic, alcoholic, drug infested lifestyle that he had always known. He's kind of just becoming a shadow of his mother, essentially, yeah. just living out that same cycle. He was known to police, but he had not been involved in any major, any major crimes at this point, just a few misdemeanors, but it was his appearance that really made him stick out in the crowd, essentially, and, and made him really well known um in that community so jeremy also considered himself a lyricist and a poet similar to jr (laughs) i imagine (laughs) he he was fascinated by lyrics and songs that reflected darkness and pain and probably just something he could relate to most being the world he grew up in was darkness and pain he and his friend Grant Bold, who is going to come up a couple more times throughout this, would walk around with their dark, agonized looks, quoting and listening to the Children of Bottom, which is a bottom, bottom, right? Bottom, I think. Bottom, yes, Children of Bottom. Sorry, it's a melodic death metal band from Finland that took its name from fun fact, a true crime case known as the Lake Bottom Murders, which occurred in Finland. So something that there you go. Yeah, maybe a a case to cover (laughs) again in the future. (laughs) And it was in October slash November of 2005 where JR and Jeremy's lives would cross paths and they became inseparable. And this was probably because they were mentally around the same age, like we said. Like they both, she was older and she had developed early and his development had developed 
like his development was a lot lower than his actual Mm -hmm. age. So they probably were both mentally around 14 or 15 years old. But again, just keep in mind that he is 22 actual years old (laughs) and she is 12 actual years old. It's still problematic. Yeah. 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 However, having mutual artistic interests in goth and all things dark, the two would begin dating in December of 2005. Don't like that. Um, he gave JR this really nice present once. Do you want to guess what it is, Rachel? Um, yes. It is going to be the head of a rat. No, it is <laughs> not quite that extreme. Wow. I, was, I was really tapping into his werewolfness. Yes. And, like you know, it. sensible no. gift giving skills. But no, no. He would give JR that little vial of blood that he wore around oh, his neck. Okay. I was close, close, close. close. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Close. Um, they would start spending their time together, groaning about the struggles in life. And just to compare their lives side by side here. JR would complain that her parents didn't like the older company she kept, such as, you know, Jeremy yeah. and the other older boys. Uh, and she didn't fit in with her family anymore. And, oh, gross. Her parents were just so annoying. And it was just so <laughs> annoying how they tried to keep her from sneaking out in the middle of the night. Jeremy's God. like, well, yeah, I had to escape bullets and a bat today. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to say. While Jeremy was complaining about how he was bounced from parent to parent, how he was physically and mentally abused, how he was beaten from the age of two years old, and how he tried to take his oh. own life, and how his mom was in jail, and how he didn't have a family, you know. Well, all that stuff is Did- not like the other. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sarah's like, oh, you have it so easy. <laughs> yeah, like that's so cool. I wish my mom was in jail. Like, yeah. No. To put it short and sharply, Mark and Deborah were not okay with JR's relationship with Jeremy. Again, I- just horrible parents. <laughs> uh, yeah. How could they? How dare they? Uh, so Jeremy, he wouldn't call the house like on the landline. They would have had landlines back then. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but he instead they would talk on all the different social media web pages. And he had multiple across, you know, he had different accounts on different pages. He would use um usernames like Soul Eater52. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> 213 Vampire or 213 Werewolf. And yeah. Um, he had a very disturbing online presence stating that he wanted to kill prostitutes, mm. play with their insides, and eat them. Very werewolf-esque of him. Yeah, he has yeah. A, oh, he yeah. Has a type yeah that's what they're known for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those yes. prostitute killers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, under Jeremy's dislikes, he would use racial slurs and not saying that he disliked the racial slur, but who they were describing, which is... You can imagine what those are. Yeah. 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 Um, It's just disgusting. He also wrote that his beliefs, yeah, his beliefs were blood, destruction, guts, gore, and greed. Uh, And his likes, his likes were listed as gothic beings, mosh pits, loud music, piercings, tattoos, Scarification? Scarification? Scarification. I imagine that's creating scars on yourself. Like branding yourself. Maybe. Maybe, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So scarification, pain, kinky fetishes, heavy metal, blood, razor blades, eyeliner, poetry, dark clothing, aggressiveness, and nails, and nails. So, wide range yeah. of um, pretty disturbing things. Yeah, um, 
Jeremy also listed on these sites that his favorite movie was Natural Born Killers. And this just ties into our uh, earlier discussion about media and true crime. And this movie did come under a lot of fire as it is about two young lovers that go on a killing spree. And not only for this case, but the Columbine school shooting because mm-hmm. they use the code name and like NBK. Uh. Um, so something along those lines, but yeah, again, media does not make people kill people. People kill people. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Yep. And, um, I did write in the notes that I stand by. This is a great film. I watched it years ago. I haven't seen it in a while, but Woody Harrelson and, um, Juliette Lewis are, you've had to say this with Mickey and Mallory. It's very yeah. Bonnie and Clyde-ish, but apparently it's based on another true story, which yeah. is about, I, I want to look this up, Charles Starkweather and his 14-year-old girlfriend, Carolyn Fugit, and yeah. they're alleged to have murdered like 11 people oh, wow. in a killing spree that spanned like two weeks or something like that. Uh, something that I might look into later because I, I did read, started reading about it. I was like, no, I need to wait. Um, yeah. But it is a great film. Do I think it caused them to, like, caused anybody to commit murder? Absolutely yeah. not. No. 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 So I actually watched it for the very first time last night. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my first thought was, why the fuck is it on Disney Plus? Oh, God. Oh. I was going to ask you, what did you watch it on? <laughs> Disney Plus, which, oh, okay. Um, and it was weird watching it knowing that obviously about Jeremy's light for it. So I was watching it to see the movie, but also kind of not try and be in Jeremy's place, but like, what is he seeing and and why? And I mean, it's very Quentin Tarantino. And once you get past the, um, you know, the crazy um, video effects and random black and white scenes and things like that, I think the storyline, as you said, Erica, like it's a great movie. And I feel like Mm -hmm. if it was just a storyline, like that it'd be a great film for me it was a little weird but it's it's quentin tarantino is not someone who i've watched a lot of movies on and i know the the classics but so it was an interesting experience (laughs) but at the end it didn't make me want to go and kill my partner's parents that's for sure (laughs) but it made me want to stay away from all of that so phew (laughs) yeah (laughs) like thank god that's not my life yeah that's what a movie that's what most movies should have you thinking right yeah, like not no, that you're absolutely. gonna go out and, and do exactly that, but like maybe I am normal. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So during Jeremy and Jr.'s chats online, they they would plan their whole lives together, including buying a castle in Germany, having a goth wedding, how Jr. wanted to be his werewolf lover, and what six things they would try. She's 12. I was all for all of that except for that last part because a gothic (laughs) wedding at a castle that sounds really nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jeremy would talk about killing people to JR Mm. and his friends, but never, uh, no one ever really took it seriously because he would talk about it all the time and it was this kind of image that he was putting out that this is what he did. And yeah, nobody nobody took it seriously. But JR was. Was he talking about killing people as a werewolf or as himself? Because there's a difference there, you know. <laughs> um, not, I don't think it's specified, but I think it's all part of the it's persona. Just, yeah. like maybe it is as yeah. a werewolf. Maybe it's just me doing it because I'm goth and 
hardcore. Uh, yeah. Whoa, her. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fair enough. When I was writing this, I, w- um, I remember listening to your um, Sid and Nancy and how you're like, mm. so punk. I was like, this is yeah. so goth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, so everything, it's just so goth. So like, this is just Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, JR absolutely loved the attention that he was giving her and it was very clear that they were both infatuated with each other. It wasn't, you know, one more than the other. Jeremy would talk about JR all the time and JR would talk about him all the time. Obviously weird because of age, but you know, okay. Yeah. So at one point JR was grounded and Mark and Deborah took her computer away. JR would go to the local library and use the computer there and that's how much they just wanted to be involved with each other and around each other and always talking to each other. they just their whole lives were surrounded around each other mm-hmm. um in their chats they would talk to each other like in poetry <laughs> and they would use like the heavy agony theme and talk about it like their gothic lives and their love and and whatnot and they made all these plans that seemed to be fantasy until they weren't. Oh no. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so on Sunday, the 23rd of April in 2006, six year old Gareth asked his mother if he could go and play with his friend Jacob, who lived across the street. Mm-hmm. Um, they were at Gareth's grandmother's house, but when they got back, he wanted to go play. And his mother, Sarah, said that she would call and ask Jacob's mother, Deborah, if that would be okay. And she called, but unfortunately there was no answer. So Gareth, he's a bit disappointed, but he and his mother would continue on with their day. They went to the movies and ran some errands and whatnot. And when they arrived back at their home at around 1 p.m., Gareth would be so excited to see a truck in the driveway of Jacob's house. Mm -hmm. And this truck belonged to his dad, Mark. Sarah allowed Gareth to run on over and, and go and spend some time with Jacob because he was actually meant to spend the night at Jacob's house, but plans changed. I think he ended up going to like a hockey match with his grandma or something like that. So, um, so he went over and mere moments after running over, he was back and told his mother that he could see bodies (gasps) in the house. No, no, this poor little boy. Yeah. Now to most people that could seem as like a young boy's imagination. But Sarah would say that Gareth was not the type to come up with a story so dark. So was this like a new game that he and Jacob were playing? Like what's going on? Sarah indulged Gareth's uh, statement about what he'd just seen. And she went over to the Richardsons, her neighbors, peered in through the basement window and would come to find that this was not a fantasy game that the boys were playing. As Sarah looked in, she could see the body of a man lying on the floor covered in blood. Oh, no. So she grabbed Gareth. She ended up calling her mother first to (laughs) probably some support. Yeah. Um, And then she called 911 to say what she had just seen. Yikes. That poor little boy. He's going to remember that scene like embedded in his brain for the rest of his life. And her too, Sarah. But oh, that little boy. Yeah. Um, the police were really quick to arrive. First on the scene was Sergeant Brent Sekondiak. He arrived at around 1.34 p.m. that day. Just minutes later, he was joined by three other Medicine Hat police officers. 
The officers entered the house at 1.45 p.m. and they were immediately met with blood smears on the walls of the stairwell leading to the upper level of the home. So their house was a split level. So when what I it looked like is when you walk in the front door, you see stairs going up and stairs going down to the basement. So they could also see blood on the walls that led to the basement as well. They saw that the living room seemed mostly undisturbed, but noticed even more blood in the kitchen on the handle of the back door. One of the officers headed to the basement where he saw the body of a woman. The body was described as lying in an unnatural position, partly on her side and back, with her head propped up on the back of the couch. She was wearing a blue nightgown that had been pushed up, revealing her naked body from the waist down. To the left of the woman was another body, a man with dark hair dressed only in a pair of black boxer shorts. Oh, no. He was laying in a pool of blood. His hands were clenched upwards in the boxer's pose or the pugilistic pose, which we talked about in the Shanda Shara case when we talked about burn victims are normally found like that. Yeah. Now, this body wasn't burned, but um, he was in that same position, if you mm. can imagine, with your fists up. Yeah, protecting like you're yourself. About, right. The man's right eye socket had a large wound, and his body was covered in multiple punctures, cuts, and slices. Lay beside him on the floor was a screwdriver. Nearby was also a black handled knife with a bent tip, and I believe that the knife had buckled in the middle as well. Oh, come on. The other officers had made their way upstairs and were looking into the bedrooms of the home. The first room they entered was uh, clearly a little girl's room. It was painted pink and filled with stiffed animals. The room was a bit messy, but didn't show any signs of a violent attack. Just a regular, you know, preteen girl's sure. bedroom. Bedroom, yeah. They did notice that there was a small red smear on the light switch. They entered, and the next bedroom they entered, they saw what they saw in there would haunt these investigators for the rest of their lives. This bedroom appeared to be that of a little boy. Mm. On the bed, they saw the body of a young child wearing just his underwear. He was laying on his right side and appeared to have a large gash in his throat. Oh, no. Officers stated that there was blood literally everywhere in the room, like he had been moving around during the attack. There was blood on the bed, the floor, and the walls, and even the little boy's lightsaber, which, if you know Star Wars, that's the sword mm. commonly used. Oh, my in heart. Star Wars. Yeah. Mm. They noticed that this was also covered in blood, and the investigators thought that he had probably tried to fight off whoever his attackers were with it. Oh, God. Which I cannot handle it. Like the innocence of that. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. I just picture the kids in my class using that same logic yeah. in a dangerous situation, oh and it makes gosh. me... I've got Harry Potter ones galore. I'm a huge Potter head, and, and yeah. you know, I'm not uh, brainwashing my daughter to be like that at all. <laughs> but, you know, I've got wands around the place, and yeah. these are meant to be powerful things, like this, like the um, lightsaber. It's this what you fight the bad guys with, and oh, God. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty uh, heart-wrenching, to say the least. And, like, it speaks to his terror, too, running around the room with his lightsaber. Like, he was, oh, my God, I'm that poor kid. My heart is breaking. 
So after the discovery of the bodies, all four officers met on the main level of the house, collected themselves and went to regroup outside. As they went towards the front door, they noticed a family portrait sitting on a table and it showed two adults, a little boy and a young girl. Now they knew there were three bodies in the house, but there was a fourth family member. Where was she? Mm -hmm. What's happened? And at that moment, the officers thought that they were dealing with a missing persons case. So the officers, they started canvassing the neighborhood, asking neighbors about what was going on. There was obviously a huge scene, huge gathering um, starting to form outside. And one of the neighbors told the officers that the girl in the picture was JR, the 12-year-old daughter of the family. Now, the neighbor told officers that Mark, her dad, had said that they were having trouble with her. Uh, You know, she was rebelling. It was normal teenage stuff. Mm And as the news of the murder started to circulate, neighbours remember feeling a sense of dread and sadness, which I don't even know how I'd react to my neighbours, you know, absolutely. Um, And, yeah, they were wondering who would want to hurt them. They were amazing people, Mark and Deborah. They were the ones helping people with drug and drugs and addiction. Yeah, they're so wholesome. How could they be targets? Exactly, and they did. They were just a loving, seemingly perfect family. So the investigation into what exactly happened here started to kick into high gear. They had a family that was completely annihilated and a missing 12-year-old girl. Like, mm-hmm. she is missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's all they would suspect her of at this point because she's 12. <laughs> anyway, the dog teams were brought in to search the evidence and for any sign of the heartless killer who committed this ghastly crime. As the investigation started to widen, the medicine hat community was about to be shaken to its very core because no one would be prepared for what they were about to find out about the Richardson family and who was actually responsible. Yikes. As the police continued asking questions about the young girl, they were led to the Catholic school in which JR attended, and she was in the seventh grade at this point, and they met with the school counsellor who had access to JR's locker. Uh, Sandra Richard, the school counsellor, pulled out one of the girl's binders and started flipping through it, and as she did, a loose page fell out. Now, on the page was a hand-drawn 12-panel comic-style cartoon. The cartoon featured a family of stick figures and one panel they were set on fire and there was two stick figures watching them and laughing. Oh Um, my God. Yeah. In other panels, the two stick figures were skipping away happily uh, to a drawing labeled as Jeremy's truck. Uh -uh. It's obvious. Sandra Richard had also found a handwritten note that read... May the hatred and anger built of blazing infernos fill you and overcome you. May the pain of a thousand torch souls come upon you like scalding blade and eclipse all other noble feeling. May your hopes, dreams and happiness fall into a swirling pit of despair never to return. May your peace of mind and safety be gone to you to be forever afraid and allied. May the black overcome you and the pain never ending. May all the love be stolen and destroyed just out of reach to never feel such joys, to never again feel such joys. Amen. Kiss, kiss. Jesus. Later, a classmate would identify the handwriting as JR's. Wow. As a therapist myself, like a psychotherapist, if I saw that and found that from a client, 
with along with the you know the comic strip i i would lose all color in my face it would be like i'm i'm fainting i'm i'm running i'm out of here that is terrifying what do you do would you contact the police oh yeah it would be like a wtf moment (laughs) okay now, Sandra Richard, as well as the police officer who was at the school, quickly realized that JR wasn't the missing person that they thought she was. She was a suspect in this crime. Yeah. So, obviously, we have a lot to unpack here. Um, and to do that, we should probably go back in time just a touch and dig a little bit deeper uh, into JR and Jeremy Stanky's forbidden relationship. So I think we're going to go back to early 2006. JR was leading quite the double life online at this point. Her parents thought that they were doing everything right, but JR was always one step ahead. When she was grounded, she would sneak out and meet her friends, or she would stay up late into the early hours of the morning to talk to Jeremy on the basement phone in like a whisper. Mm -hmm. I think we've all done that, but we've never gone to the extremes as JR did in her life. Now, even when her parents had caught on to what she was doing and who she was talking to, JR had a workaround for that as well. Like we said earlier, she would just go to the library and use those computers. She even learned how to talk in code in order to throw off any adults that might be walking past the screen. So, like, if I ever had kids, they would get away with everything because I have no idea what any of these abbreviations mean. Oh, let me see if I can do it. Like R-O-F-L. Oh, rolling on the floor laughing. And that's all I have written down. Oh, <laughs> I was ready. Just generically. Just, just saying in general, I would have no idea. Well, I had to like Google what Stan meant. And I was shocked to hear that when it was you, the Eminem thing. When you stand yeah, someone. I, I didn't realize it came from his song. Yeah, you're a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that song just became really popular again. Well, like with that Weird. young crowd. And that's where Stan. Yeah. People start saying that's that now. Yeah. Uh, eventually, the family started attending counseling together, and as time passed, Mark and Deborah started to think that they were seeing some real changes in their daughter. It was almost like they were getting their little girl back, but that couldn't have been further from the truth. JR was putting on a show in order to further hide her relationship with Jeremy, and the two of them were getting more and more frustrated with JR's parents and the fact that they just wouldn't let them be together. Oh, it's true love, mom and dad. It's like <laughs> a can't you see that? Modern day Romeo and Juliet. Like, why can't yeah. we just be together? But Mark and Deborah weren't the only ones that felt their daughter's relationship with a 23-year-old was just plain wrong. Mm. Many of JR's friends also displayed this same concern. Now, remember, these are all 12-year-olds. Yeah. Okay. But you know who else has that same concern, that this relationship is plain wrong? The law. Just Exactly. <laughs> so when they would tell JR that they thought she shouldn't be with such an older guy, she would simply tell them, it's my choice. Leave me alone. Another friend would express her feelings about Jeremy on her own MySpace, MySpace page, where she wrote... I hate Jeremy Slimeball. Mm. I also Same. wanted to touch on the her friends would say things like he was such a show off. He would like dangle from the railings at the mall and he would do, do all these uh, like outrageous things. And he was just so immature. Ah. This is coming from a 12 year old about a 23 year old. Wow. Oh and <laughs> that he's less mature than a 12 year old. I can just picture Jeez. them watching them 
what like the girls watching him dangle from the wall and be like, oh, like what a loser. He's so immature. Yeah. <laughs> right? Was like, hi emoji. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeremy's friends also felt that his relationship with JR was pretty inappropriate when he confided. <laughs> when he confided in his buddy Grant Bolt about how frustrating it was that JR's parents were too strict with her, he was completely honest with Jeremy that he thought it was a bit weird that he was 23 and dating a seventh grader. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh. Like, she, oh, she hasn't even, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Another one of Jeremy's friends would tell him, you're a grown man. You should have a job. You shouldn't be running around with young girls. And I'm glad somebody said it. Because considering what? the only job she can get is babysitting, so put that in perspective. And she didn't even do that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she yeah. can't even do that. <laughs> Jeremy would end up writing a song about his frustrations, oh, something he did often. He called the song "The Intervening," and it goes like this: Are you gonna sing it? Please, no, please <laughs> sing it. We'll never listen to your lies. Why don't you just go ahead and fucking die? Oh. We all know you are going to burn in hell. They'll all keep asking, but we should never tell. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Don't love that. So cool. So goth. <laughs> so goth. Oh, my God. <laughs> so even though JR's parents thought that she was turning a new leaf, JR was still sneaking out, still sneaking around behind their backs, meeting Jeremy in secret rendezvous locations like the bus stop. <laughs> so secret <laughs> so romantic um, too yeah oh yeah um and after one of these meetups on march 13th of 2006 jeremy wrote to jr in a dm Eric, <clears throat> give us the theatrical reading <laughs> how goes it you were a sight for sore eyes and i miss you more than killing people oh. can we get together and kill people i have a poem for you and that's the number four just so everyone knows uh, and you shall see it when I see you. A teehee. Well, I should go. I love you tons. Love. I hate that. JR replied. <laughs> JR replied, Aha, yes, we shall. I miss you too, a large, large amount that cannot be contained in mere words. I wish to see this poem. Love you, X. And as for the poem, it read, there's something about your beauty that makes life with you feel like a movie. Oh. It's like a dream come true. The skies are always blue. And when I'm with you, I feel alive. You make me want to take that dive. I swear to you, I could never lie. Your soft, sweet lips could get me high. Um, I'm pretty sure Aww. I heard that in Napoleon Dynamite. That Did you? is... Oh, really? No, but like, does that not sound <laughs> like, like the Napoleon well, Dynamite? Yeah poem <laughs> i was like what no i've never seen that movie so you haven't <gasps> oh. i've seen that movie yeah. I've never seen <laughs> that's such yeah, that poem is such a stark contrast to his song like that's a very lovey-dovey like yeah. pop kind of thing compared to his intervening song. yeah i know and right first off what fucking 22 23 year old bloke says tee hee yeah right well, like and what what twelve year old says the mere thought of you like or whatever she yeah. says like what are you yeah. Jane Austen like get out of here <laughs> yeah uh, so after this little exchange with the poem the next day Jeremy wrote another email to Jr and the subject line was hey sexy 
in the email, he references the vial of blood that he gave her as a gift. And he asks, and what of the vial of blood I gave you? What are your words on expressing your thoughts on that item of my love to you? Yay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you had me. I was like Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> and then you yayed me. Yay. <laughs> uh, he then goes on to say, when are we going to get together and kill some more pitiful souls? Oh, nuts. I nuts. imagine that's the emoticon. Like yeah, little, I think so. Yeah. The <laughs> little nuts, nuts emoticon. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, well, TTYL, hopefully you can call or something and let me know what's up for tomorrow. I'm picking you up again or what's going on. Take care, my lovely date, date. emoticon. <laughs> so when i was doing the notes for this i put the like thing in there because i thought maybe i'm old maybe these mean something and i don't know no. what's the date emoticon <laughs> well it's it's like a semicolon date semicolon i imagine it must be like an emoji or an emoticon maybe okay so just don't even say them moving forward <laughs> I don't know. You don't have to say them. I put them in just in case they meant something to someone no. that I oh, no. that wasn't well, me. Not to me. Yeah, yeah. No. Okay. No. And they said kill more pitiful. Oh, it's yeah. How many so pitifuls did you kill already? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you how many at this point. Zero. Right. Literally zero. Like you're just such a. Poli- so I don't know. You're so goth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On March 16th, Jeremy would write a disturbing email to a friend. And in the email, he talks about killing JR's parents in a scenario killing, oh, sorry, in a scenario similar to the natural born killers, Mickey and Mallory. In the email, he says, the whole point of killing them would be to start a killing spree across Canada. <gasps> Ruffle. Uh-oh. <laughs> there you go. That, that's one that we know now. <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of like the legendary Mickey and Mallory. Lovebirds. Have you seen that movie? It's called Natural Born Killers. It's the best love story of all time. I love it so much. I want to do it myself. Oh, you know what's creepy so about obsessed. that email? It was written on March sixteenth, which is today in Canada. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello from the future. Yeah, right. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is creepy. Is that not? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Well, on March 17th, which it is here in New Zealand. Whoa! Uh, hello from the JR, past. <laughs> yes, hello. <laughs> JR was finally able was able to finally convince her parents to loosen up their rules and allowed her to go to an all-ages punk show that was being held in town. And the only condition was that Mark and Deborah would attend the show as well as a chaperone. But I think that's awesome. I yeah. think that they were, were like, yeah. I agree. This is your thing. You like this music. Go ahead. We're just going to make sure you're safe. Yeah, exactly. And it was going to be St. Patty's themed. I can guarantee it (laughs) because that's really fun. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, What JR's parents didn't know was that JR wasn't going specifically to see the bands, but she knew that Jeremy was going to be there as well. Between sets, Jeremy and JR would sneak sneak out of the concert hall together to have some alone time in an alleyway and her parents would find them Mm-mm. they saw jr in a passionate embrace with an obviously older man oh my god he's a, he's a man he's a fucking man like yeah. and they were pissed imagine <laughs> losing yep. their minds yeah oh yeah 
Um, I said in my notes that Jeremy's lucky it wasn't my dad who caught him because he would not have legs. <laughs> yeah. No, um, yeah. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. My, yeah, like my dad, he's six foot two. He does like boxing. We both go and do boxing. Like if it was my dad. <laughs> Holy oh, shit. shit. Yeah. He's lucky so. it wasn't your dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I thought this was yeah. quite interesting because Mark, he he's a big dude. You know, he's big, he's burly, he's, you know, strong. And it's interesting that he didn't right. go and deck Jeremy. It's because he's I mean, so no, goddamn wholesome. Or sorry, he's so wholesome that well, yeah. he he's all about peace now. Yes. But yeah. I think sometimes that could probably be broken. <laughs> I was wondering, and you put this in the notes, why they didn't report him to the police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But maybe she wouldn't give them his name. Maybe they didn't know his name specifically. She, like She was saying that he was 17. Like she didn't yeah. tell them. Yeah. So maybe yeah. because he is under 18 that nothing would have happened anyway. But yeah. Anyway. So yeah. they found them together. Mark and Deborah pissed. And if JR thought that she knew what being grounded was before she was about to learn a whole new meaning to what Mm. being grounded was her parents really threw down the hammer this time and for the next entire month jr wouldn't be allowed to leave the house except for school she wasn't allowed to speak on the phone to anyone or use the computer she was banned from listening to her favorite music and her mp3 was taken off of her they would also take her makeup and her straightener away yikes not the straightener yeah <laughs> yeah. Um and JR would say that she felt like a prisoner in her own home. Yeah. The poor thing having parents who care yeah. so much about her. Listen, I was grounded for a month once and it sucked, but I had my straightener, so it wasn't <laughs> as bad. <laughs> I'll give it that. <laughs> now, with her frustration and anger growing by the day, JR would end up sending Jeremy the first of several emails detailing a horrific plan she had hatched that would solve all of their problems once and for all. And like I said, she was using computers at the library in the local YMCA, so her parents couldn't see what she was doing. So on March 20th, 2006, she writes, Rawr, Mm. I hate them. So I have this plan. Begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. So are we set? I'm going to try and call you, but I really don't know if I'll be able to. They are treating me like shit. I hate them so much, but I hope this won't bring us far apart. I hope to talk to you soon and love you with all my heart. Love. Jeremy responded in his own email the next day, and he said, Well, I love your plan, but we need to get a little more creative with the details and stuff. I wish they wouldn't treat you that way. Grr. It angers me to hear that. I dislike them very much. Don't worry. I love you too, my sexy beast. As they're roaring and gurring at each other. like Yeah. Ugh. I hope to hear from you soon. Two, take care, my love. This gets confusing, you guys. Okay. You have the key to my heart, and soon enough you shall have my heart if I die anyway, because if I give it to you now, I'll die, then you won't be able to hear me say how much I love you. Mm. Love, XO, XO, XO. Wow. Disjointed. (laughs) Like, that's a conundrum. But also it gives, like, it kind of shows that she doesn't have that forward thinking, like, where she is developmentally, like, Mm -hmm. thinking-wise, because she's like, oh, if I just kill them, then I can be with you. And Uh, apparently neither does he, right? You can really see that. I know we're having a good laugh at some of these things because it's so 
uncomfortable. Yeah. On March 24th, Jeremy would post this disturbing poem. I put a question mark after that because <laughs> is it to his Nexopia page? It says, my girlfriend's family are totally unfair. They say they really care. They don't know what is going on. They just assume as their greed continues to consume. She is slowly going insane. She continues to thank that I came into her life to help her out and to stop what they keep trying to shout. It's all total bullshit. Their throats I want to slit. They will regret the shit they have done, especially when I see to it that they are gone. They shall pay for their insolence. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. Wow. Yeah. He's got quite the way with words, doesn't he? (laughs) Very obvious what I think he's thinking at this point. Yeah. So So in early April, a still-grounded JR would find a way to stealthily sneak out of the house through the basement window. She ran to a nearby bus stop where Jeremy was waiting for her in his truck. The couple drove to a trailer that Jeremy shared with his mother and made their relationship physical. I hate that. No. Oh, my God. Gross. Yes. Uh, It was from this point forward that JR could only see one future for herself, and that future was Jeremy. She wasn't going to let anything stand in her way, even if it meant she had to murder to make her fantasy love a reality. And Jeremy was all too happy to do whatever she wanted. He he would do anything for her. Mm-hmm. Throughout the early days of April, JR and Jeremy would continue to secretly talk on the phone or the computer, plotting the perfect murder. They talked about exactly what they would do to a family and how they would run away to Europe Germany, goth wedding, and all that. Mm-hmm. And the only problem they could see with their plan was that JR's younger brother, Jacob, would still be there. They were just planning on killing her parents to start off with. And they thought that if they killed JR's parents, it would be cruel to leave Jacob all alone. Right. So they reasoned to kill eight year old Jacob so he wasn't by himself and that he had. Yeah. to die i mean that because that would be cruel <laughs> leaving him with no yeah. parents yeah like jesus amazing big sister mm. like, i have to kill him because i have to kill my parent you don't fucking have to do anything you dumb bitch. anyway <laughs> yeah. uh one of the most interesting things that happened here is that despite jr's young age she seemed to be the one pulling the strings wow. in this relationship and this plot according to statements made later by friends of them both jr was the one in control Jeremy was essentially like the pawn in her sick game of getting like the perfect life where she's with Jeremy and no parents. Wow. Two of JR's friends would tell investigators later on that they overheard JR talking on a cell phone in the schoolyard one day. She was angry and clearly speaking to Jeremy. And she was telling him that she wished that her parents were dead and that she needed him to do this for her. Friends of Jeremy also remember hearing Jeremy on the phone and JR hear, like hearing that she's begging him to do it for her, mm-hmm. which is scary. And you know what's like really fucked up about that too is that if she was on the schoolyard, like it was recess. She was like, yeah. that is so fucked up. Oh, gosh. In mid-April, Jeremy started to seek help from friends who he thought might be open to the idea of killing his girlfriend's parents. He would tell the plan to his friend, Grant Bolt, and ask him, how far would you go for love? 
He then proceeded to tell him that he didn't think he could commit these murders on his own and that he needed someone he could trust. Grant, thankfully, told him to get fucked. (laughs) Um, Jeremy would also ask a couple of other friends to help him and each gave him the same answer as Grant. However, unfortunately, even though they weren't interested in participating in this murder, not one of them thought it was a good idea to report Jeremy for what he was saying to them. But all his friends meatloafed him because they would do anything for love, but they won't do that. <laughs> won't do that. <laughs> Not even a little bit. I was like, is now, that a term in Canada? Meatloaf someone? <laughs> no. <laughs> meatloaf someone. But it is now. It is now. <laughs> Coin it. Trademark it. It's yours. <laughs> yeah. Even though his friends had turned him down, Jeremy was determined to do what needed to be done to win JR's heart. He expressed this in yet another song that he posted to, Nexop- to his Nexopia page oh. entitled Blood Shedding Fight. I'm not going to pain you guys with hearing the entire <laughs> song. I'm just going to read you the chorus. And it says, I will kill. I will spill the blood for you tonight. It will be blood. It will be a blood shedding fight. Wow. Sure. Poetic. Neat. <laughs> Over the coming weeks, Jeremy would continue to post cryptid cryptid hints, cryptic hints on his social media p- platforms that would reference the plans he and JR were making. He would write a message to Grant Bolt that read, I hope you enjoy hitting yourself. Oh. I, on the other hand, would rather do more morbid stuff to others, like Jax's rents, for example, which I'm going to do this weekend. On oh. April 23rd, 2006, JR and Jeremy's plans would finally come to fruition and the lives of everyone in the Medicine Hat community would be changed forever. So that previous evening, Jeremy was drinking and getting high with some of his friends at his mum's trailer. And unsurprisingly, Jeremy put on and started watching Natural Born Killers. Now, in the scene where the killer left the brother, the killers left the little brother alive, Jeremy said, that's where it'll be different. JR is going to kill her brother. I'm glad I've watched it now because I can understand that reference. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh Friends, again, think that Jeremy's just being really strange. They are a little worried, but nobody says or does anything. And I think as well that maybe the substances they're taking, you know, they're drinking, they're getting high. Yeah. Probably made them a little bit reluctant to go to the police. But still. (laughs) And I wonder how serious they thought he was, too. Yeah. If this was something he's always talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's just Jeremy being Jeremy. Yeah. At around 2 a.m., Grant overhears Jeremy on the phone saying, like, are you sure you want to do this? Uh, like, are we actually doing this? All right, cool. Uh-uh. And sure, fine, whatever. And then after the phone call, Jeremy was heard leaving. <gasps> after he left, Jeremy went to go get beer, cocaine, weed, ecstasy, vodka, and vampire wine. And this is like <laughs> a novelty red wine. It's very cheap, very disgusting. <laughs> Fun wow. fact, though. Alice Cooper brought every case when it came out. Really? Yeah. That is a fun fact, isn't it? <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. I told uh, again the details he come here for. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that. Derek has got the deets. <laughs> yes. Um and yeah, I, I don't even know how Jeremy was able to drive at this point with all the shit that he's just taken and consumed. Yeah. Um Jeremy would say that he was so off his rocket that night with all of the shit that was in the system. And if only an officer had pulled him over, if only someone had seen any kind of dodgy driving. Yeah. Again, or his friends, like 
then at that point, like, oh, you're about to go drive completely off your rails on all of these drugs? Yeah. Maybe not. I think that that his friends were all under the influence that night, and so that probably was clouding their judgment to some extent as well. And these were a combination of older people, like around Jeremy's age, and young girls that were 12, 13, 14. A couple of the girls were were runaways. Call the cops on ourselves. Right. (laughs) A couple of the girls were runaways that had been reported missing or reported as a runaway. So I think there was a lot of factors why these people, specifically Jeremy's friends, wouldn't. Um, And I think when it came to JR's friends, I think that they didn't report anything they had heard because they're 12 and they did not think she was serious. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy did make a stop at a convenience store on his journey and he stopped to get some gum because he, so he's going to JR's house and he stops to get gum because JR didn't like to kiss him when he had been smoking. (laughs) Right. In his fresh Um, breath. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't like the smell. And and JR actually did try to convince Jeremy to quit smoking and he said he was going to, and that she was the gateway to quitting everything. And Yeah, Some real positive change in his life. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. (laughs) So upon arriving at JR's house, Jeremy entered through the basement window and he obviously made noises. And to be honest, I'm not surprised because he's probably stumbling and falling over from how intoxicated he was. Yeah. Uh, Deborah heard a noise and came down to the basement to find a man standing there wearing all black, heavy, dark eyeliner. He had a, a mask over his mouth and a bandana so understandably, she's freaking the fuck out. She screams mm-hmm. and Jeremy just lunged at her um, and he started stabbing her with that. <gasps> he was using that that bent knife, I'm mm-hmm. assuming, yeah. Um, she slumped into an awkward position behind the couch and I would venture to say that's why her nightgown came up like, as she slumped down, um, yeah. not for any kind of sexual acts or um, anything like that. Deborah was stabbed 12 times. Her lungs and stomach had been punctured, but the fatal blow was to her aorta. Oh, God. Mark, hearing his wife's screams, came flying down the stairs and he grabbed a a screwdriver that was obviously somewhere nearby and he started attacking Jeremy. Now, Mark was a big dude and so he definitely wasn't going to go down without a fight. He was stabbing Jeremy and Jeremy was stabbing Mark and they were literally like rolling around the room just in a fucking chaotic craze. Mm -hmm. Jeremy was scared shitless of Mark. He always said that he was a really intimidating bloke, um, which (laughs) good. Yeah. Fuck away from his daughter then. Um, And so while they're scrapping about, Mark grabbed Jeremy's face and shoved his thumbs into his eyes, giving (gasps) Jeremy a black eye. And all while this is happening, Jeremy is just swinging his knife maniacally and stabbing at him until Mark stopped fighting. As Mark was lying there in a pool of his own blood dying, he asked Jeremy why he was doing this. Obviously, um, Jeremy's mask had come off and he could see who the attacker was. Mm -hmm. And so he asked him why. And the last thing that Mark would ever hear in his life, after everything that he had been through, the drugs, the rehab, being with Deborah, their family, getting his life on track. The last thing he would hear was Jeremy tell him, because you treat your daughter like shit, she wanted it this oh. way. Oh, oh my gosh. Like he gave her the world and yeah. that's oh, how heartbreaking. And that, just, that, yeah, 
Ah, oh, that's that's really hard. Um, Mark had been stabbed twenty four times, with cuts being some of the cuts being around eleven centimeters deep. However, just to make his death worse, there was no stab wound that was determined to be fatal. Like with Deborah, no. the one to her aorta was the one that killed her. It was an accumulation of all of his stabs. So oh. slow and agonizing. Forensics would find 75 different blood spatter marks and 100 different pooling marks around his body. Like that's how. Like, how much of a fight he put yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy then went upstairs. He is high as a fucking kite. He's exhausted, covered in blood. And he goes up the stairs and he sees JR. And he's standing there covered in her parents' blood. And the first thing she says to him is, I love you. Oh, yeah. Banned. That is fucked up. Then eight-year-old Jacob came out of his room after hearing all the commotion. He stands Mm. there. He's seeing Jeremy covered in blood. He's just heard screaming. So understandably, he's absolutely terrified. And JR, being just the best big sister ever, she hugged her little brother so hard that she tried to choke him. Mm. Jacob, like his father, was not going to go down without a fight, and he scratched her and broke free, ran into his bedroom and started using his toys to defend himself, including theorized his lightsaber. Right. Uh, but he was overpowered. Obviously, he's he's eight, and he was overpowered by JR and was stabbed multiple times, all while saying, I'm too young to die. Oh, no. And then JR would slit her brother's throat open, severing his thyroid, jugular, and larynx. Like, you got to be a next level psychopath Psycho, to be able to yeah. do that to your younger brother. Like, yeah. that is. Just and she, up. you know, by all accounts was sober. Not yeah. that using drugs or anything was as any kind of excuse, but she's She sober. wasn't under the influence. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jacob also did have signs of strangulation. Uh, he had like these bloodshot bulged eyes, but because of his neck wound, they couldn't say for sure if he had been. Um, yeah. So at this point that JR's doing this to her brother, Jeremy starts to panic. He's probably had like a a sobering moment wash over him and he freaks the fuck out and he tells JR to like hurry up, but he leaves. He gets in his truck and he drives off, leaving her at the house. No. Well, that's a dependable person. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He pulls over, vomits because of all the shit that's in his system and probably guilt starting to set in, Um, but then makes his way back to his mum's trailer where all of his friends are still there sleeping. Meanwhile, JR, she packs some clothes into a bag. She calls for a cab, goes to a local convenience store to get some money out using her mum's card, comes back to the house, gets in a taxi and goes to Jeremy's place where they would then pack up his bloody clothes, have sex and go to sleep. Are you kidding me? She's so level-headed and calm and going about her business. Like she didn't just murder her entire family. It's, Holy! Yeah. I don't get it. Crap! It's, and it's yeah. Made her made them horny. Like what the fuck? Like honestly. 
I, I'm not making excuses for Jeremy. This yeah. is going to sound like I am, but I'm not. But he's so off his head that he probably yeah. is, like, confused about what's happening. Oh, yeah. But just like we said earlier, it's amazing how she is so level-headed and how she's so in control. And she she knows exactly what the intention was that night. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pure e- evil. Even before the murders happened, when Jeremy's out trying to get, like, liquid and chemical courage built up in his system, she was having a bubble bath. And yeah. chatting with friends. Yeah. Right? She didn't need it's, anything to amp her up. No. She was she, already willing um, to do it. Right. And there's some debate over who actually killed Jacob. I believe it was probably JR. Yeah. Um, that's and I think that's what the consensus is. And if that's the case, she also needed no um anything in her system. She yeah. just this is what needs to happen. This is what I'm going to do. It's yeah. very terrifying. Yeah, very terrifying. Yeah. When JR, Jeremy, and his friends at the trailer woke up in the late morning, early afternoon, the crime scene was being discovered not too far away. JR and Jeremy go and they get some alcohol. They go to another apartment of some friends and are seen making out, laughing, drinking. I believe JR is sitting on his lap, straddling him, all of that kind of thing. So, One of Jeremy's friends, James, recalls how the three of them were in a back room and Jeremy just came out and was like, yeah, I killed my girlfriend's family last night. Got at them like a fish. JR laughed and said that her little brother gurgled. No. What? They're like just joking about it? Like so nonchalantly to their friends? Yeah. Now, I don't even know what I would do if, if like, if you were sitting there, Erica, and you're like, I've by the way, you. like, my little brother gurgled as I murdered him, I would be like, I, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> I, yeah, that's Yo. crazy. So, Jeremy had a friend called Casey Lancaster, who was also from the goth scene, but Casey seemed to be infatuated with Jeremy, and that's one thing we didn't really touch on. A lot of the girls in this scene really were infatuated with Jeremy for some reason. He's not a good-looking guy. Twelve-year-olds and fourteen, fifteen, but even some that were closer to his age, yeah. they were mm-hmm. all infatuated with him. But they said he had a heart of gold. Well, and I mean. he was a werewolf. Like who isn't attracted to that? Yeah. <laughs> um. So Casey did seem to be infatu- infatuated with Jeremy and would do anything for him, and this included moving Jeremy's truck and wiping the entire thing down for him. And she hid it behind like a barn in this field somewhere. Jeremy would later say that moving the truck wasn't to hide evidence, but just so that no one broke into it. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and Casey would tell police that she was so high when she did it that she thought she was just cleaning rust and not blood stain, blood stains. And also, right. Um, okay. I, it, okay. <laughs> sure. But Casey, Casey would also agree to drive JR and Jeremy out of town along with two other girls. So what they were actually doing was driving their friend Mech home to Saskatchewan right over the border. And uh, this is what they would tell police eventually when they're, when they are pulled over, oh, we're just driving this guy home, you know? Yeah. So while they're out living the high life, police have processed the Richardson's family home, put out communication about JR being missing. And this is where her name was actually publicly released for the first mm-hmm. time. And mostly by accident. Um, Cause obviously you can't have the name of a underage criminal criminal published in Canada, but because mm-hmm. she, there was an Amber alert out for her. Yeah. Um, they would, they would publish her name. Hmm. Now, they quickly tried to backpedal that after a bit, but you can't unring the bell, so to speak. Right. So, <laughs> shit. 
Um, the police would not tell the media that she became a prime suspect. So it kind of worked to their advantage having her list- listed as a missing person because everyone was on the lookout for her. Mm-hmm. Now, soon, some of Jeremy's friends would walk into the police station. The One of his friends, James, would come in with uh, quite the story to tell. He would tell police everything that JR and Jeremy had bragged about at the party. And he also gave police information about how they left with their friend Casey and two others. Wow. He was, I think, oh, also. <laughs> yeah, yes. I was going to say, who's James? He needs a Medal of Hero stuff. What is <laughs> Medal of Honor. Yeah. <laughs> he needs a Medal of Hero stuff. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> J.R. Jeremy and Casey, with a couple other friends, had skipped town and stopped at a gas station in Leader, Saskatchewan, about two hours away. The three girls went inside the station, leaving J.R. and Jeremy in the car, but would come back with uh, the daily newspaper where the murder was front page news. Mm-hmm. J- Jeremy and J.R. laughed about it because J.R. was considered missing. Her photo was in the newspaper, but this was a pre-goth photo of the beautiful, natural, young-looking JR. And Jeremy said it didn't even look like her. Oh, God. Perfect disguise. Yep. (laughs) JR didn't flinch or have any kind of aversions to seeing her parents and her younger brother's pictures in the paper either. If Casey and the two friends with them didn't know what JR and Jeremy really did or why they wanted to skip town, they sure did now. Yikes. But I assume Casey probably knew all along. She did because they were bragging about it. After leaving the gas station, they would drive to a school parking lot. So what had happened was is that the police officer in Saskatchewan, he was like this young rookie guy. It was like one of his first shifts on the job. He um, had heard. (laughs) yeah, Welcome to the fourth son. (laughs) Well, he had heard. He had heard about the murders and they knew that there was like a be on the lookout or a bolo for Jr. And so they were looking for her and they also, because James had gone to the um, police station, they also had a description of Casey's truck. So he knew what to look for and he had spotted them. He knew that they had to get gas. So he had actually waited at that gas station for them to show up there. And And then there's only one gas station in the whole town? I think so. Very Canadian-esque of them. (laughs) Yeah. So he had waited at this local gas station and then followed them to the school parking lot. And then this is when he got out to make their arrest. But the arrest did not go smoothly. Everyone started going wild. The girls were scrapping the police officers. They were Mm -hmm. kicking and punching at the cars, ripping clothes, screaming and yelling. However, there was no sign of JR or Jeremy. Uh And that's because they were found under a blanket underneath... Because they were driving, Casey had a truck, and there was, like, the top on the truck bed. Mm -hmm. They were found underneath that top, under a blanket. Wow. Okay. That cop was probably, like, getting his ass kicked. (laughs) Like, I've made a rookie mistake. (laughs) Now, to make matters worse, when they pulled the blanket off of Jeremy and JR, she wasn't wearing any pants. Oh, no. Get out of here. They... No. So when she was put into the car, her female companions were telling her um, that that she should tell everybody that the cops tried to rape her and all of this <gasps> kind of stuff. Um, and then once they were all at the police station, they all went crazy again. They were like stealing shit. Um, they, I, because it was such a small police station, some of the girls had to be held in like a car in, in the cars. Because they didn't have even a holding cell to hold all these people. So they had JR 
in a in a cell in the one holding cell they had and then jeremy like locked in an office somewhere and then the girls the other girls were like in cars and one of the girls actually kicked like the plexiglass divider out of the cars and like i said they were stealing like notepads and putting it down their pants like just it's not gonna help your case girls like what the hell 30 hours after the murders of her family jr was arrested and this would make her the youngest person in canadian history to ever be charged with triple homicide wow to absolutely nobody's surprise jr pleaded innocent and it was all her big bad scary boyfriend who did this threw him right under the bus she didn't know jeremy was going to come over and she was so scared of him then she says that she held jacob while jeremy killed him but she strangled him so he wouldn't feel anything sure Mm. she only stabbed him once she said but it was completely for jacob's benefit get fucked (laughs) yeah yeah Get all the way fucked. (laughs) Now, the police wanted to find a way to get a full confession since they had seen everything in her locker and all of her online activity at this point. Um, So they asked her to write a letter to her family, which I think is very, it's like quite a twist, like just an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, I think they were trying to get emotions flowing and some way to connect with her and obviously seeing how she was writing and the artistic side. Was this the way to get through to through to her i suppose okay in my opinion i feel like this letter is not heartfelt it does not show remorse it's simply the ramblings of a psychopath it's disgusting she writes dear my lovely my loverly parental units (laughs) i am writing this in response to the events of sunday morning a terrible thing happened and something i feel was all my fault I wish peace upon your souls in the Summerland, which is a Wiccan, the Wiccan afterlife. Okay. To my little brother, I apologize for letting you hear what you did and for causing you any pain or frightening you. To my parents, I hope you know that through everything that has happened, I have loved you this whole time. I wish I could take it back. I wish it never happened. I wish you were here with me now because I am alone. I have no one. I pray that you can forgive me and Jeremy because he was under the influence of mind-altering drugs and did it out of love for me. He's, I hate this part. Mm. He's possibly the kindest person I've ever met. He only wishes for me to be happy. Through the fights and hatred exchanged, I still love you. I'm sorry that my sarcasm was taken to heart. I never meant to harm you. Pray you can be at peace. Oh, absolutely not you it's difficult evil little bitch no the yeah. kindest people she's ever met is her fucking parents yeah. yeah like let's just put that there first because that's no it's gross that's why i said it's it is just the ramblings of some sort of psycho yeah. like it's no yeah it's not cool yeah. Police earned JR's trust by letting her pass notes back and forth from jeremy another thing that really nobody had ever seen done before Mm-hmm. So Jeremy wasn't saying anything really, but when police told him that JR said it was all him and now she was the innocent one, this was his breaking point. He I owned bet. up to, he owned up to killing Mark and Deborah, saying that JR begged him to do it, which was far more aligned with what the online conversations between them said. But never and to this day did Jeremy say or ever own up to killing Jacob. And quite frankly, I believe he didn't. And yeah. I sure everybody agrees. I think yeah. we said that he's, earlier. He's got nothing else to lose. Why would he lie about it? 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the pair continued to exchange notes, and three days after the murder, J.R. wrote, Never has a person affected me so much. Always will there be something missing without you with me. My lawyer tells me we're legends. Ha! Closer to immortality, it would seem. Monday, I'm being moved to Calgary. Sadness. I need to stay in contact. Jeremy replied two days after with, Dear Jax, I love you more than life itself. I've added you to my visitors list, so once you're released, please visit after. Never forget how much I care or that I love you. We can keep visiting each other until we can be together again. Without you, this life isn't worth living. Kisses. The thought of being with you is all that is helping me stay somewhat sane. We shall be together again, I promise. Stay true to your promise and I shall to mine. Casey continues to lie. I wish I could hold you right now. Stay strong and continue to write me, please. I need you. I love you. I miss you. Kisses. XOXOXO. Your lover, Jeremy. P.S. You said you want to get engaged. Then here's a cue. Will you marry me? If so, then it is a verbal agreement. Oh no. Uh JR accepted his proposal, but the note swapping stopped after police determined they had had enough evidence from them and Jeremy would write one more letter. But it was never delivered. And I imagine that's because also the police officers were like trying to hold back their vomit yeah. reading this fucking shit. <laughs> and they were not gonna aid in any more pedophilia and by organizing this child bride yeah (laughs) now casey the friend was charged as an accomplice but she struck a plea deal to testify and she received just one year probation and i think Mm. some of the other friends that were involved in that were with them when they were arrested i think they all got plea plea deals as well jeremy's trial began in calgary about three hours away from medicine hat on the 4th of june 2007 and it was brutal his friends were called to the stand and split all the good and bad. Sorry, sorry spilled, spilled all the yeah. good, all the good and bad about him, about his troubled life, about his progression into darkness, and what he would say about his relationship with Jr., including drinking blood and how Jr. would bite him and drink his blood. What? Yeah. Jeremy was picked apart. All the paper trails from the websites, evidence from love notes. They even had a recorded confession as he spoke to an undercover cop in the back of a CAPS transport van. There was no doubt at the end of the trial of Jeremy's guilt and the jury deliberated for 24 hours and found Mm. him guilty. Good. Jeremy was brought back to Medicine Hat to be sentenced and received three life sentences with no parole for 25 years. Nice. Even though he never admitted to killing Jacob, he was sentenced for that crime. Good. Now, JR's trial was in juvenile court. And like Jeremy, she was picked apart and shut down at every step. In fact, when she's on the stand, if you actually read this part of the book, it is gold. The way that the... um, prosecuting attorney rips her a new asshole oh it's so good you mean the prosecuting attorney outsmarted a 12 year old yeah (laughs) oh Oh, it's so but it's just so good like i recommend anyone to go and read runaway devil and even if you just skip to that part knowing what jr has done it's totally worth it Mm. to just read this this prosecuting attorney just rip her apart yeah i love it so much good So, yeah, so she did take the stand and testified in her own trial, which is ballsy. And again, just crying as the victim, 
the whole time and it was all Jeremy and blah, blah, blah. Like we just said, the prosecution literally destroyed her saying how she showed absolutely no remorse and definitely no fear of Jeremy, how she had time to call a cab and go to a, go to a store and back when he had left her there. That was an opportunity to call the police. If she was really the victim, they had friends and witnesses testifying against her and how she laughed about the crimes. The comment about her brother gurgling, the paper trails, the notes. Again, it was open and shut. The jury deliberated for just four hours in her case, which included a one-hour lunch break. <laughs> wow. They were found like, we're just doing this for optics. She's guilty. <laughs> yeah. They found her guilty of uh, all three murders, mm-hmm. and she became the youngest person ever to receive a conviction. Wow. Yeah. So... The fun bit, the sentencing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This is real fun. So, yeah. So similar, uh, so we did talk about this in last week's episode about the bathtub murders, um, about the sentencing with the Canadian youth justice system. Uh, the longest sentence a minor can receive is 10 years. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, my God. I didn't and know this, that. Yeah. T- 10 years yeah. for any, any offense. That's the maximum. That's wild. Um, and again, like you were saying at the start, Erica, it's a, a lot of it is about that rehabilitation. So, uh, it could be like s- the time will be split between prison or like the, you know, a, de- a center and mm-hmm. a rehab facility or something like that. And probably just to be clear, you might touch on this in a bit here, but she, where JR probably was kept and where I, I'm sure many, young offenders are housed even during the punishment phase of their um, incarceration sentencing Sentencing is probably more like a boarding school. Yeah. Right. Right. Like it's, it's not going to be like what you imagine prison. (laughs) Yeah. It's not going to be prison. Right. So anyway, sorry. No, 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 that's, it's all good to know. Um, But yeah, yeah, so 10 years is what, JR got for the triple homicide of her family. Um, and since she'd already been in juvie for 18 months before the trial, this was included in no. the sentence. So it was on top of that. Uh, she ended up spending four years in a psychiatric hospital and then four years under community supervision where she was allowed to attend Mount Royal University in Calgary, Albert, to continue her education. She went to university. Yeah. She- Shit. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, and she was released in May of 2016 with her records expunged and her identity protected for the rest of her life. That is infuriating. Yes. I it's- cannot. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I think I said this to Rachel a few times this weekend while I was complaining about this case to her. Like, yeah. she could be our next door neighbor. Well, yeah, she could, we wouldn't she could know. Be. I could be living with her. at work, and I would never know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and she doesn't have to disclose it, like, to her future employers. If they go and no. do, like, a vetting background check, they would never find that out about her. She doesn't even have to tell her spouse, her friends, her new her neighbors, um, her kids. Though I wonder what they would say when they go, where's my grandparents? Like, yeah. What? What, what, what story? Because she's not going to fucking say that. Like, yeah, oh, yeah really? I, I killed them. Yeah. yeah. It's just. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, 
Upon JR's release, the Queen's Bench Justice Scott Brooker said, I think your parents and brother would be proud of you. Clearly you cannot undo the past. You can only live each day with the knowledge that you can control how you behave and what you do each day. And I don't think I'm okay with that. Um, No, they're not going to be okay, proud of you. (laughs) I don't think, yeah, like she became the poster child of rehabilitation and whatnot, which yes, okay, great, cool. We want rehabilitated people. But for what she did, the fact that she wasn't under any influence, how she just, what she did to her brother, I just. Yeah, it's pure evil. Yeah, it really is. Huh. And um, I actually didn't add this in, but Officer Sir Kondiak, who was at the scene, he said that he doesn't believe that JR is evil. He thinks oh. that what happened was, you know, an, an accumulation of all the, like, her influences and stuff like that. But he doesn't think she was in rehabilitation for long enough. And so he is a bit yeah. worried that she might go and do something <laughs> crazy again. But right. she's essentially a ghost living in Canada. Because she's got a new name, new identity. No one knows where she is or what she's well, doing. Well, and imagine she has done it again and she's actually in prison just under a different name yeah. and no one has connected those dots because they can't. Yeah. Like, well, I whoa. think we would probably know. I think they at that think, point they yeah. would release. They, they're no, on but the- us. Like, we wouldn't know. No. So if she were to commit another crime like that, um, based on what I I, know, I'm, I mean, if anybody out there – correct me if I'm wrong essentially if I am wrong about this but from what I understood when I was reading the YCJA is that if they do go on to commit another offense like that like murder Mm -hmm. like similar to their original that they could reveal their identity at that point and they would be her identity even from the previous okay so that kind of law gets erased if they are re-offenders yeah especially especially more so in that first five years after their release from or their sentence ends, but yeah. 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 But I think there's like, I mean, again, I think you said this about your laws in New Zealand that they, it's really up to the judge and the justice. Yeah. Like they're, they that have the, the full the say. Yeah. 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 So Absolutely. really a judge right now could potentially unseal her records for any reason that he deems to be appropriate. If there is mm. an appropriate reason. That'd be a huge legal battle just. In oh that. yeah. Oh yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, no no one has to know a damn thing. And I I cuz Erica you were saying that you remember when she got released. Do you remember like what the I just remember they or? well, yeah, well, of course people were outraged. I mean, yeah. I always try to think of well, would her parents be outraged? Like would they want her in jail for the rest of her life? Probably not. However, yeah. Her parents aren't here to make that choice because yeah. she killed them mm-hmm. or she arranged to have them killed. So I I believe that, okay, she was 12. She has served her time as a juvenile. I don't think that her anonymity with the, the severity of this crime, I don't think her anonymity should have been protected. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that there should have been more restrictions put on her because I think one of her restrictions was that she couldn't own a gun. Well, we're in Canada. Yeah, like, good luck doing that anyways. Yeah. Um, and she can't, like, do certain things online, but okay, sure. But she, she shouldn't be able to work around kids. She's got a new identity. Yeah, I think yeah. that kind of stuff, I think there should be, that because this crime, same with the case that you covered last week with the bathtub girls, I believe that their identities should be released as well, simply because the crime is so 
egregious. Yeah. And I think that future employers have a right to know. Absolutely. What if she's a teacher, a future employer, if, if she's running a daycare, wouldn't the parents, wouldn't you think they would want to know if their daycare um, teacher had murdered an eight-year-old regardless yeah, of when think. this was? like a, yeah. Or even like, you know, the... Um, like nurses who kill. She could be a nurse that's going around exactly. killing people and they don't even know because yeah. she that's her fetish or fantasy and ugh. Yeah. God. So yeah. I, I think especially in Alberta, um, I think the people there close to where this happened were very um they weren't happy about it. Yeah. yeah. Ah, no, Needless to say. Right. <laughs> um they often compare JR to a young Carla Homoka. Who we've already <laughs> talked about a couple of times yeah. um, when she was a teenager and, or when she was 12, and this was all going on. So I think people were coming, and Carla Hamoka had just been released a couple years pre- previous. Wow. To, okay. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. This she's is got why. Kids. This is why she's one of the most hated people in the country, believe me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people were still reeling from that yeah. and just, it felt bungled. Yeah. However, yeah. there's no justice system that's perfect. They're not. Oh, course, we're never going to get it right. Yeah. Um, I think we really, especially when it comes to a crime like murder, I think that kids should be held to an, a different. Of, of course, we need to protect them and make sure they understand what's happening. But at the same time, stiffer punishments, harder, yeah, faster. Consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Not four years being looked after by nurses and then four years of studying to better yourself. Like yeah. where the only consequence was that she was separated from Jeremy. Whoop do you yeah. fucking do? And hey. that education was free, which is better than ninety five percent of like people yeah. who are murderers. Yeah. Like exactly. what? Yeah. Now Fuck. I know you have a little blurb about Jeremy here, but um, I didn't know he changed his name to Jackson May. I yeah. hate that for him. Um, <laughs> and he has appealed his sentence. But one thing th- that's interesting about Jeremy is that during the time, because him and J- uh, JR sort of turned on each other, right? Yeah. yeah. So when he was going through all that. He was talking with his friend Morgan, who was also a 14 year old girl that was obsessed with him. I believe that they got engaged and were waiting for her to turn 18. So because her parents wouldn't even let her visit him and he couldn't put her on the list because she was under 18, her parents would have to sign a waiver. And then, yeah. So I don't know if they're still engaged. Like she'd be an adult now, obviously. Right. Mm. But I don't know if they ever got married or what happened oh, there, but God. it goes just goes to show you that he's still just he's still yikes. the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah. So in 2012, Jeremy changed his name to Jackson May. May being his mother's um last name, and he appealed his sentence. Um. And he said that it was an unreasonable verdict, and I think um leaning on um the third life sentence for jacob because saying that he Mm. it wasn't him but i um in canada you can get charged for first degree murder even though you're not the one pulling the trigger isn't that is that yeah something like that it's because um especially if you're directly involved Involved, in the in the murder being carried out which which he certainly was so yeah Mm. yeah so um he also uh, appealed that he had improper counsel um, he's, because he was so young and had, well, not he wasn't so young, because he had never 
been in any major crimes and in the criminal justice yeah. system he didn't really understand what was going on and he felt that his lawyer wasn't really explaining properly he probably had a public defender if he was probably. Yeah. yeah probably something similar to that he also probably should have had like some sort of r- responsible adult if he had some kind of diagnosis which i yeah. believe d- yeah he wouldn't have had the fasd diagnosis because his mom never admitted to drinking yeah right um so no. Um, um, the but other thing, actually, I know that we talked about it, Erica, was I was surprised that nothing about he, him and JR having a sexual relationship came oh. up. Yeah, where's the statutory rape? Like, what? So they didn't pursue that because they had all this other stuff. They wanted to get this conviction for the murders and they wanted to seal yeah. that deal. However, like that charge would have been sitting there if they needed it, right? Yeah, right. sure. But, yeah. but I think with what they had and and i know and as sick as this is she was such a willing participant and everything i think they just left that one to the wayside um i don't know exactly their their full thoughts on it but from what i could gather is that they had enough evidence to convict him for the three murders and they ran with that instead of clouding any judgment of anything else going on here so um so jeremy or now jackson as he's called um he did get a new lawyer and that lawyer is still trying to help him um appeal his sentence i don't know what he thinks he should get (laughs) okay um and uh but any that he has at the moment have have all been rejected and he is up for parole in 2032 wow very likely not going to be released but you yeah there are some cases where people get released that shouldn't and i know you guys have covered cases of people who were in prison or within um yeah the police who get let go all the time yeah um so he likely (laughs) he likely won't be thankfully in canada that's one thing when we have somebody that's quite uh commits such a egregious crime like this especially when it becomes as well known in the public as this one has over the years he likely won't be um Mm -hmm. released which is the one good thing about this country but if we come contacting you in nine years, <laughs> we're going to give some updates about yeah. this. Yeah, stay tuned, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my um, God, nine years. Can you imagine? Uh, but Paul Bernardo has come up for parole. He was never released. Like, yeah. 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 So. Very, very much not likely. But you hear this. Oh, he's a model inmate and he yeah. has shown remorse and, and all this kind of bullshit. It's like. Mm, yeah. Lots yeah. of bullshit. Lots of bullshit. No. Um, but I think, unless you have any more to add, Erica, I think that is the case. That of, is the case. All three hours of wow. it. Ooh. Ladies, that was intense. <laughs> yes. And it also is the conclusion of this Deadly Daughter series and the case of the runaway devil, JR and the Richardson family massacre. So... Wow. Well, thank you so much for letting us join you on this oh, one. No, it's been you. a ride. Well, it's, it has. It's, it's so, this has been a, you know, this is a first for me hosting with someone because I've, you know, I've had like my sister and my brother on episodes before and I'm just like you do with Rachel. I'm just telling them the story. So this has been fun, like a new experience, <laughs> something I can tick off doing like co-hosting, which is great. So thank, thank you so much for coming on. It's my first time doing it too, so I hope it went well. Um, You know, I was really nervous, so. And I loved hearing the both of you. You were both so amazing (laughs) at collabing, so thank you for that. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. And yeah. do you want to put in a little plug where listeners can find you and reach you? Yeah, you can find us at Story Crime Pod. And you can send an email to us if you ever want to at storycrimepod at gmail.com. And we are anywhere you listen to podcasts, essentially. Google, yeah, Spotify, yeah. Apple, wherever you want to find us, we are there. So, Come uh, check us out. Amazing. <laughs> so, lovely listeners, that is all from me this week. So, until next time, be safe, be good, be better, and all that cheesy crap. And I will catch you guys next <laughs> week for another episode of Coffee and Crime. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>